and gentlemen. Oh my goodness. Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show, where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, <laughs> as always, it's my quarantine colleague, Dave Amantorp. How are you doing this week, Dave? Uh, all things considered, I'm doing very well. Um, I I was just uh, uh, telling you before we started recording that I, I was able to get out of the house a little bit yesterday, and then when I got home yesterday, I came home to a bloodbath uh, courtesy of my cat who had caught something and just made a mess of the, the walls and the floor over it. Uh, basically, he was the Lex Luger, and whatever the animal was, was the Rick Fuller last night. So, Oh, man. It was it was insane. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm all rearing, ready to go. I actually I, I did something really terrible to myself, and I watched two episodes of the new adventures of robin hood oh wow. so i'm ready i'm ready to get through this week and to put that show out of my mind because here's a spoiler it's terrible <laughs> well uh yeah you're probably wondering why we would even be bothering to mention the new adventures of robin hood but we will definitely get there and all the action on nitro this week but before we get into today's show i do want to remind you that you can follow us on twitter at 20 years of nitro or you can follow dave at Dave Amentorp, that's a double M E N T O R P. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 years of nitro. And of course, you can email the show at 20 years of nitro at gmail.com. 
Now, we are joined this week by an absolutely huge guest. This is my, bar none, far and away, my favorite uh, locally locally based independent wrestler here in the Twin Cities area. You could have seen him wrestle all over the country, especially in the Midwest. Uh, He is the master of the ginger snap, Darren Corbin. How are you doing today, Darren? I'm good, but with an introduction like that, I think it uh, you really hyped me up here. Well, <laughs> I, we just uh, I I appreciate a it would be just a thrill to have you on the show uh, at any time. But I know you know right now you should be down in Florida getting your WrestleMania week bookings, uh, and then I just read today you should be on your honeymoon. Yeah, we were trying to line both of those up. Uh, we were going to try and do the honeymoon first and then head over to Tampa for Mania because I had never participated in the Mania Week uh, shenanigans. So I was mm. going to, this is going to be the first one, but uh, I guess coronavirus had a different plan this time. But uh, I guess it will just delay, just delay the inevitable, I suppose. Well, I, I hope uh, Harlem Heat versus High Voltage was a consolation for missing those things for you. Oh, yeah. And I mean, there's a couple matches, I feel, that were great uh, consolation prizes on here. So I think, uh, <laughs> you know, good uh, silver medals and bronze <laughs> bronze medals here, maybe on this one. We got because uh, uh, you've already mentioned it, Rick Fuller and uh, Lex Luger, you know, uh, entertainment value alone can suffice. <laughs> yeah, that that match like. I mean, we'll get to it, and it's not something that really is going to stand out as like, oh, that sounds interesting, but the fucking Superdome is hyped up for that, too, and that makes like all the difference in the world as far as watching a match on TV is concerned. Now, uh, I want to ask you a question before we get into today's episode, because unfortunately, we don't have a chance to talk about this particular star, because he doesn't appear in tonight's episode, but I know that last year you wrestled... Uh, the WCW superstar who had probably the most legendary undefeated streak in the history of wrestling. I'm talking, of course, about Glacier. What was it like wrestling Glacier for you? Well, it was <laughs> it was very. Uh, I, I'm a. I've always been a big fan of Glacier. Uh, yeah. Obviously, when I was watching Nitro, and the other thing too is as in independent shows that I've crossed paths with them. The one that stands out is when he was a uh, mystery partner at King of Trios in Chikara. And oh, the right. Place yeah. went, and the place went nuts. And he was awesome for all that. And it's the gear. It's the whole they were. I think they were dumping potato uh, like instant potatoes through the fans. Uh, not not the crowd, but like the overhead fans. So right, it made right. like snowfall. And uh, it did this really weird like visual image and i was like this is so cool and that was like in 2007 or 2008 but then to be like oh fast forward to 2019 you're gonna have a tag match and and of course like it was the most 2019 ever where it was like uh yeah lorben cometh is gonna wrestle gangrel and glacier randomly <laughs> uh, at a brewery so get get ready for that and and but it was uh yeah it was a blast and like matches like those are the ones i actually really look forward to and have a blast with because they're with people that I remember watching or playing as on video games. So it's always kind of like a, uh, it's just like a surreal moment, I guess, when you have those. Dave and I met Glacier at uh, Starcast a couple of years ago, the very first one that they did. And the guy, I think of everyone we met, the two nicest people 
Uh, Glacier was not a surprise. I would have expected him to be nice, and he was. He was just, he was so nice. He was so enthusiastic to meet the fans. Uh, the other one was Buff Bagwell. I, I hear that he maybe got a little handsy with some of the money that wasn't his that weekend, but as far as fan <laughs> interaction goes, the guy was an absolute delight to talk to. He was very nice. Oh, yeah. Well, I've never actually met Buff Bagwell. I've never met him, but uh, Glacier has always been super nice. Uh, I remember, again, at Chikara, he, like, ran up to the Crow's Nest commentary station just to tell everyone he was having a good time. Like, he was like, thank <laughs> you for having me. I'm having a great time. And, like, I thought that was super cool. <laughs> All right, well, today is January 13th, 1997, and we are coming to you live from the Superdome, yes, the Superdome, in New Orleans, Louisiana, in front of 10,034 fans, a Nitro record, who paid a total gate of $104,785, another Nitro record. Now, those records are destined to be short-lived, however, as advance tickets for next week's show in Chicago are already over 11,000 fans and $150,000. It is a good time to be Eric Bischoff and a definite great time to be Zane Breslov. Uh, He's the man in charge of local promotion for WCW. He's done that since 1993, having done the same job for WWF from 1985 to 93. Uh, Definitely one of the unsung heroes backstage in wrestling when it comes to these things. He's He's able to capitalize on the success and, and know the right time to pull the trigger on these bigger arenas that we're going to start seeing throughout 97. So next week, is that probably like Rosemont Horizon? Or do you uh, think? The United Center. Oh, wow. Yeah. They're... Well, well, well. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first crowd of over 10,000 people for a wrestling card in New Orleans since the last year that Bill Watts was running the territory there. Uh, for anyone who might not know, there was a very rich tradition of wrestling down the bayou. Uh, Junkyard Dog was kind of their biggest star. There's a really good book about it called The King of New Orleans, written by Greg Klein. I read that two or three years ago, um, and this just seemed like a good time to mention that since I, I know everyone's looking for something to do. Uh, so that's that's a definite recommend. This is the 70th episode of WCW Monday Nitro, and we are continuing the build towards both The Clash of the Champions on January 21st and NWO sold out on January 25th. The show starts with the opening montage and theme, but about halfway through it suddenly cuts to backstage, where the giant in his street clothes stomps through a hallway before kicking open a locker room door. Inside is the NWO. The jobber members of the NWO all rush to hold the giant back, and he shoves most of them around easily, but they have the numbers to hold him back successfully from his target, Hollywood Hulk Hogan, who stands in the back of the room, along with Nash, Hall, Bischoff, and DiBiase. The giant furiously shouts that Hogan is a, quote, four-legged feline, which, I'll be honest, took me forever to figure out that he's calling him a pussy. Did you guys pick (laughs) up on that quicker than I did? Because it took me forever. Uh... To me, the the giant, when he's shouting, I'm not catching much of what he's saying at all. <laughs> sure. I uh, I got to say, like, it went over my head the first, and then I, like, repeated it to myself, and I was like, I think maybe he was trying to combine two things, like two sayings. I, I don't know. And that I was could just be like, too. <laughs> uh, uh, but, yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, he is. I, I, you know, it's like if somebody <laughs> yelled that at me and was like, you're a four-legged f- uh, feline, I'd be like <laughs> – <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, okay, got me there. Like I wouldn't the have a response for it. 
the alliteration makes it sound really cartoonish and fun. Like, he sounds like Sylvester or Daffy Duck or something. <laughs> J.J. Dillon and security quickly show up and help restrain the giant. Giant bellows that if Hogan tries to run from him, the giant will find him as security pushes him through the doorway that his head scrapes the top of. Giant finishes by calling Hogan a coward and we cut to inside the Superdome, which is immediately noticeable as being substantially bigger than the arenas we're used to from our Nitro venues. I was going to say, you can definitely tell it's in a much bigger arena. And I mean, obviously 10,000 is a really good number for them, but... With the shots of the arena, it looks like a lot more. I, it, it I was does. surprised it was not that much. Um, I thought it was more like 20,000 or something like that. But it's also, it's it's very distinctly different because like you can see there's a, a big screen in which they can see the backstage segment. Whereas I don't think that's entirely, maybe that's just on the, um, like those scoreboard um, screens that are usually above the arenas. But it, yeah. it just... It's you could tell it's like a bigger, more advanced arena that they're at rather than what they're usually um, in every other week. It's very noticeable that they can see themselves on the screen because the audience throughout like the entire first hour and into the second is endlessly amused by waving their hands and then watching themselves in the big screen. <laughs> it like I couldn't believe how late in the show people still found that like just the craziest thing they'd ever seen that they could see themselves on a screen somewhere. Uh, what did you guys think of the opening Nitro this way though? Cutting off the theme song and you know getting right into a confrontation. Uh, they've done a couple things like that, but in seventy episodes, this is maybe the third time we've had an opening that was anything kind of like that. I think any time that you start off. Uh, a show differently i think it it kind of i mean we get so used to calling everything about a format or however we want to look at it so i think this way around uh being a brief opening segment compared to what we're used to too a little bit different a little straying from the path uh and i kind of noticed that too with the crowd i thought it was gonna be way bigger than the ten thousand that they said but they are like hot right away and like they keep up the whole time like they stay up the whole time so yeah. that was one thing that i noticed is that everything changed like everything seems like it's just gonna be go 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 the whole time from the moment and like you're kind of already planting seeds early which i thought was a good thing and it's nice to change it up so like that's one thing i noticed there too it's you definitely don't really start too many either shows that way but that was a good way to start it off it makes this whole um situation with the giant rushing the NWO locker room trying to get Hogan it feels like a serious situation has already erupted and I think as the show goes on you can kind of tell it's like the WCW committee is trying to resolve it as soon as possible so it feels like something that's like it it doesn't feel like a regular sort of way to start a show and how basically the rest of Nitro's trying to figure out like how do we resolve this because if the Giants just trying to attack people and we have to use security and like the uh, stadium security and everything like that like <laughs> the show's gonna go off the rails if we don't uh, uh get a solution to this soon tony shivani welcomes us to the show and summarizes what we've just seen amusingly adding in the detail that the giant got his own cameraman to cover what we just saw i just love the <laughs> idea of of this gigantic man furious at Hogan for something. We don't know what yet. And the first thing he does is like go politely ask it. Well, yeah, I see he could have angrily asked, but he gets a cameraman to follow him into the room. 
it's not like just that a you know it's a TV show and there were camera guys backstage. No, the giant personally wanted this on tape. I like to think that the giant before he brought the cameraman, he first ran by the 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 four legged feline line to him yeah. to make sure that it was still good. And the cameraman's like, "Yeah, no, that's that's great, giant, good. Yeah. You, should, well, you should roll with that." Well, the cameraman was terrified, I assume. <laughs> right. So he would get he would say yes no matter what. Larry and Tony surmise that Hogan must have backed out of the championship match it sold out that he agreed to two weeks ago on Nitro. As JL comes to the ring, some shirtless bros with NWO painted on their chests go wild. JL will be facing Chavo Guerrero Jr. in our opener, though Larry and Tony are far more interested in talking about Hulk Hogan's alleged cowardice. Here to call all the action in our opener is our own four-legged feline himself, Dave Amantor. <laughs> <laughs> right um yeah first thing i noticed is uh man now mr jl is only jl we're getting very informal here with our with our <laughs> our masked friend um so either the bell didn't actually ring or we can't hear it in the big ass superdome i mean i i can't remember how it's how it goes with the rest of the show i feel like we do miss the bell a lot though like we just don't hear it or it doesn't pick up for one reason or another i know there were there are definite times i remember hearing the bell so it is possible if it wasn't here that it just didn't get rung for this match okay well we start the match off with the two competitors going move for move with each other chavo eventually hits a flying head scissors takedown and when that doesn't send jl all the ring he drop kicks him to the arena floor he follows up with a flying cross body block, and as uh, Larry Zabisco mentions, it sure sounds like JL whacked the back of his head on the exposed concrete. Mm. Uh, after sending JL back into the ring, Chavo scales the corner, only to get drop kicked down to the arena floor. Sensing he has an opening, JL goes to the top himself and hits a plancha. At this point, JL is already the worst for the wear, as he tends to both the back of his head and his left knee before throwing Chavo back into the ring. In the ring, Chavo regains the advantage, nailing a cross body block before heading to the top. But again, JL is just too quick, and he stops Chavo and hits a top rope hurricanrana for a long two count. Uh, back on their feet, and Chavo withstands a series of chops from JL before knocking him to the mat with a Naomi-esque flying butt attack. <laughs> he does, He's used it before. I don't know how else to refer it without, uh, without listeners understanding. It's the Naomi move. I think it's supposed to be a hip. I think it's a. I think technically it's the hip, but it definitely is just a run into my ass. <laughs> at <full> right. Speed. <laughs> um, once more, Chavo risks ascending the corner, and this time he's successful as he hits JL with a moonsault, holding him down for the pinfall victory. Um, I just wanted to also mention to, that. I also just wanted to mention poor JL. Looks like he got a knee right to his forehead on the moonsault as well. So we have like it's a three or four minute match, and JL is just taking a beating, both intentionally and unintentionally, the whole time. Um, now this, uh, I'm gonna say at the beginning that this whole show feels like it's going at a pretty fast pace as far as getting matches started and getting matches finished. We're gonna have a lot of matches that are pretty quick and are only a few minutes long. Right. Um, this one I thought was uh, for the short time that it was going, I thought it was enjoyable. Both guys kind of hit a lot of high flying moves. Um, I'm not. It's very confusing as far as what they're trying to do with Chavo Guerrero Jr. at this point because last week he just. He he jobbed really hard to Kevin Sullivan, so 
Um, I don't know exactly the direction they're going with Chavo, but for what it, for what it was worth, I thought this was a pretty decent match. It's yeah. interesting because with Nitro's opens, you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's amusing that they're always talking about whatever they've just seen or something that's going on. And like an opener will come out to start hot. And this one does do a really good job of having like good back and forth. Like you said, uh, poor JL on this one, just getting like, there was numerous times where there was like random moments where he's just getting like beat in the, like hits his head, gets a knee to the face, so on and so forth. But like the announcers can never oftentimes cannot be bothered to not talk about anything other than what they're just seeing and trying to like find different ways to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And it's so it's, I always think to myself because on nitros too, you would see like two guys wrestling and be like, Oh man, I haven't seen these guys on T. Oh, and here comes Scott Hall and Kevin Nash to interrupt the match. <laughs> so like I, there was like a couple matches on the show where I felt that way. And this was one too. And I, and then at, when it ended, I was kind of like, Hey, I didn't know Chavo's finish was the moonsault. <laughs> like just the stand, yeah. like the one, two, three kids style moonsault. And then second, I was kind of like, ah, they actually let that match end, but it would have been nice if they talked about it a little bit more. So I was, I mean, I guess it's kind of par for the course when you're used to WCW, but it was kind of amusing to me. I remember I went to the, uh, Jerry Lynn retirement show for, for people who haven't listened, uh, or maybe just don't know. JL is of course, Jerry Lynn, uh, he's local here to Minneapolis. That's where he's from. So he had his retirement show here, and you wrestled Tommy Dreamer on that show. I was sitting in the front row for that one. Uh, that was just a, a fantastic event. Really, really fun. Uh, famously, the show where Six or Xbox broke his ass. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> did you ever uh, talk to Jerry Lynn about his days as JL? We, I honestly, I've never brought it up with him in the sense when we have talked. And by the way, Jerry is like, a godsend he's an angel sent from heaven to make wrestling better i will always say that and he would always mention you know like we would talk about man you were in wcw ecw wwf you know all that stuff and but it was never like oh man remember when you were in wcw as jl (laughs) like it was never really (laughs) right right but um just in passing we would talk about it but like you'd always just know and just have it but like the one thing i always kind of was curious about is that outfit like what it's like to wrestle in that outfit the mask and like having a full body type deal like that because i'm always it's always weird and the few times that i've like put on a mask or any kind of like facial covering it definitely impacts at least some kind of vision so i was Mm -hmm. always curious about that because like he never really wore anything similar to that in his career later or before you know so it was always kind of kind of interesting but i've never brought it up to him and that was something we were just talking about um, in a recent episode because Jericho uh, had just had, at where we are in our timeline, he had just had his match in New Japan as Super Liger, which was the first time he had ever worn a mask. It was a brand new gimmick, brand new bodysuit, and it just completely ruined uh, the match. He just had no feel for what he was doing. He like slipped off the middle rope and got laughed at by the, the entire crowd and the announcers, and it just the gimmick is killed dead. It, it doesn't last past that one match all because he was forced to, to wrestle in gear that he just wasn't comfortable with. Mm-hmm. 
The crowd is so big and so hot that Chavo gets a huge pop just for signaling that he went to the top rope. They loved they loved him just saying he's going for the moonsault. He gets another big <laughs> pop for his victory, and he's awfully confident after the win for a man who just got squashed last week, asking the camera a couple times, who's next? Which I'm taking as confirmation that the Goldberg gimmick was just a ripoff of Chavo Guerrero Jr. <laughs> All right. Bold. Bold. <laughs> After commercial, Tony and Larry break down the opening segment, and the crowd does a decent, uh, loud Larry chant. Larry earns their admiration by making a couple of very good points. One, that Hogan has been dealing with giants for a very long time. And two, Hogan has giant playing right into his hands by leading him around by his emotions. Look no further than the giant bursting into a room where he was outnumbered 12 to 1. Larry recommends that the giant calm down and go find Piper to teach him the sleeper hold so he doesn't have to rely only on the choke slam. <laughs> I, I think that's good advice. That, that would be terrifying if the giant used a sleeper yeah. and like <laughs> leaned all of his like 450 pounds on you. Like, yes. It seems like that would just put a man out quickly. Out comes Hacksaw Jim Duggan waving that WCW flag that he debuted last week. He stopped in the aisle by Mean Gene Okerlund. Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I gotta tell you, I'm as proud as punch. You finally grabbing a bull by the horns here at World Championship Wrestling and doing something about the NWO. Congratulations. Are these new colors the purple and yellow? Who better believe they're new colors, purple and gold of the WCW. You know, a man can only stand so much. And I was in the back watching the NWO run wild over WCW. Somebody had to do something about it, and that somebody was Hacksaw Jim Duggan. So I set aside the American flag and picked up the banner of the WCW! All right, uh, how about two thumbs up for Hacksaw Jim Duggan? One other thing, Gene, I can't do it alone. I am brilliant man enough to admit that I need help. But Sting, where are you? Be a man. Come up forward. Don't be so wishy-washy. Say you're WCW or NWO. Be a man, Sting. Thank you, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Tony, your partner, Larry Zabisco, winning the golf tournament today. He's got to be delighted. Yeah, I tell you, this is a great place to be in New Orleans with the Nappy Convention going on. And Larry Zabisco wins the WCW Nappy Golf Tournament shooting eight. Am I reading this right at 67? Eat your heart out, Tiger Woods. And I tell you, we're off and running. I saw Jim Duggan, Super Calo in this one-on-one. And what about what he just said to Sting, to be a man? You know what? I'm in shock. That is the first thing Axon Duggan ever said that made Hold it. Hey. Hold on a second. Is it? Is it, it, it is Sting. That's the real Sting. He came out from nowhere. He's with the NWO. With a scorpion death drop from behind and level Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Gene tells Hacksaw that he's happy to see someone finally sees the mantle of leader of WCW. Hacksaw says that a man can only stand so much and he was tired of seeing the NWO run over WCW. Because clearly someone had to do something, Hacksaw, quote, set aside the American flag and picked up the flag of WCW. And little things like this remind me of how weird the entire world got after 9-11. 
Like, I just, I don't think after 9-11 you could ever do a story where some guy was like, I put aside the American flag because it's time to represent WCW. It just would sound uh, so weird now, but it was not weird in 1997. I think it sounded weird to me because I forgot that there was even a flag. So I want to know who brought it, where he found it, and if he was just like backstage, like when it he was... found the TV title, and he just goes, <laughs> uh, I'm going to come out with this today and <laughs> just grab this purple and gold flag. It was really weird. So it was last week on Nitro, he won a match, and then he just went over to the guardrail and grabbed it from, it, it was Wild like Cat off Willie. camera, but it was, oh, that's, yeah, that would make sense. He grabbed it from Wildcat yeah. Willie. There we go. Well, well, and, well, he did that last week to celebrate the draw that he had with Steven Regal. He didn't even win a match. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> Hacksaw's music plays, but he has one more thing to say, which is to call out Sting telling the stinger to be a man come forward and stop being so wishy-washy gene and tony congratulate larry who earlier today won a golf tournament uh being held by wcw as part of the napti convention that is the national association of television program executives i was just gonna say with the hacksaw um when the interview started having his music playing Anytime that happens in pro wrestling, it just reminds me when um, the Academy Awards will start playing music to try to get people off the stage. Yeah, 100%. So, yeah, so it's just like, okay, okay, Hacksaw, let's wrap this up. But but Hacksaw doesn't have, like, he has no finish in mind when it comes to interviews. He's just because I, I think it happens to the Steiners as well. And the Steiners also don't, they don't know when to finish talking. Like, you got to tell well, them to stop talking. There's a lot of math involved with the Steiners, so you have to kind of no, give them time to figure out that formula. Well, it's especially <laughs> funny with Hacksaw because the only thing he needs to do in this promo is call out Sting, and he almost got cut off without doing so. <laughs> right. <laughs> you had one job, Hacksaw. <laughs> Super Close theme plays, and the crowd reacts big, a little too big for the luchador, and we soon see why as Sting, genuine Sting, quickly comes down to the ring, grabs Hacksaw, and hits what Tony, for the first time, calls the Scorpion Death Drop. Sting <laughs> leaves, and Larry is convinced this means Sting is in the NWO. Uh, no matter how many times this happens, where Sting drops a WCW guy one week instead of an NWO guy, every single time they're convinced he's in the NWO now. Right. Uh, they Tony can't Flair. let it go. They cannot let it go. Yes. And the, the the best part about this is because I remember this episode when I was watching as a kid because it has one of my favorite parts, which we'll get to later. But my favorite part is, is Sting is like not affiliated with anybody, quote unquote, because he felt WCW turned their back on him. And the moment he comes out and like in my head when I watch this, I'm like, Hacksaw deserved it. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. He de he deserves it because he's like, Sting be a man. And Sting has, like, told everyone that he is not going to stand by people who turn their back on him. And so then mm -hmm. he gets called out. And it's like, it would be like if somebody went on Twitter and tried to, like, man, Sting's being such a pussy. And then he actually went to your house and found you and laid you out. <laughs> everyone, everyone would be happy about that. Like, everyone would be like... Oh, cool. Like Sting got to do what we all wanted to do to somebody who wrongfully steps out of bounds. And then they continue to just berate him for like, oh, he's got to be in the NWO. This shows it as if Sting attacking Hacksaw Jim Duggan is like, well, that's the proof right there. He's the I mean, right. like 
he's he's gone after the guy holding the WCW flag. It's like a giant game of capture the flag. And now he's strictly NWO, you can tell. Like we thought and we were wrong before, but now this is the fact that we're we're so right. And it's actually like for me annoying level of Zabisco just like trying to drill yeah. that point home. Like it's almost like Heenan hating uh, hating Hogan, but like Zabisco trying to do a B version of hating Sting for being like, ah, this is, <laughs> he's proven what we knew all along. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. This is the th- only, this is the third time that Sting has uh, done this to a WCW guy. It was uh, Jarrett, it was uh, Rick Steiner, and now it was uh, Hacksaw. And every single time, it has come immediately after they talk shit about him. Uh, like anyone who can't figure out the pattern now is just being like willfully obtuse. And uh, I, I think that definitely covers Larry Zabisco. Yeah, that was exactly what I was going to say, too. It's like the, the announcers are coming across as like dumb detectives at this point here when they're like, no, no, that guy's definitely guilty for reasons I don't understand when it's like it's <laughs> like the cause and effect this like every time it's happened, it's getting like more and more directly after it like the. Uh, the trash talking because I think Rick Steiner talked trash about Sting and he replied like the next week, whereas now this is like minutes later. Like Sting's making it more obvious. Like this is exa- exactly what will happen if you talk trash about me. Like it, he has one rule, and when you break the rule, then you get a scorpion death drop. And the fact that the announcers just aren't figuring that out is just making them look kind of uh, kind of dumb. Tony says that the producers are scrambling to put on something, as clearly Duggan is in no condition to continue, and the camera immediately cuts to Duggan, who is marching around with his flag, seemingly completely (laughs) fine. You could see him stand right up before Sting was even out of the arena. Uh, Like, he's not too interested in selling this. And almost as if he's being scolded by a producer off-camera, he suddenly winces a little bit and grabs the back of his head, like, as if he got yelled at, like, you have to sell this. So he's like, oh, I mean, ow, my head. Uh, and Craig Leathers, the director, even cuts to a wide shot. And I assume that was, like, so we didn't see how little he was selling the attack. After that, some military drums play, and out comes Sergeant Craig Pittman. He takes a little too long getting to the ring, so when he's, like, 75% of the way, they just switch to Jericho's music, and he has to start jogging. <laughs> to get to the ring faster, that really amused me. And it's also this strange trend where Greg Pittman is always a guy that gets uh, fireworks. Yeah, it, it is odd that he gets pyro, especially as a heel. If you were a babyface, I'd maybe understand it a little bit more, but he's a heel who loses 99% of the matches he's in. What's, it just shows you, like, they had money to burn. They did not care. <laughs> They had, they had Craig Pittman fireworks money to burn. <laughs> Jericho makes his entrance, and Tony says it's a big night for TNT, what with Nitro and the debut of the new Adventures of Robin Hood after. Jericho and Pittman lock up and chain wrestle a bit until Jericho is whipped to the ropes and comes back with a shoulder tackle that floors Pittman. Pittman gets to his feet, but Jericho slides between his legs, comes off the opposite ropes, and hits a jumping wheel kick. More chain wrestling, which Jericho escapes with some elbows to the temple, followed by a clothesline. Jericho connects on two more shoulder blocks, but goes for a third, and Pittman dodges, sending Jericho over the top rope, but he manages to land standing on the apron. 
Jericho heads to the top turnbuckle, hits his missile dropkick finisher for the dominant one-minute victory. Uh, Scott Dickinson wants to raise Jericho's hand after, but Jericho jumps down to sit on a guardrail, preferring to have his hand raised by a youngster at ringside. What a baby face. (laughs) (laughs) What did you guys think of the quick match here? I mean, there's really nothing else to say about the match except that, like, when you see the replay, it like Craig Pittman sells that like it, like that missile dropkick murdered him. Like he is yeah. just flat on his back. Like you can put a chalk outline around him. But I, other than that, like there really isn't much to this to, that's noteworthy except that, like they want to have Jericho on TV getting some victories for his uh, his big weird interesting rematch with Masahiro Chono at sold out. I forgot that that was the match that they're building to. Um, the thing that it caught me a little bit on this one is it would be something that I think would be interesting if done more often because of how short the match is, is if the dropkick just caught Pittman so perfectly, he was able to pin him for a three count. But then in the same sense, you kind of realize what the match was and where it was just kind of placed on the card where it would mm. be like, oh, yeah, he just got me lucky in the jaw with that dropkick. Just knocked me out long enough. Next time on WCW Saturday night, I'll get my revenge. But <laughs> knowing the situation, it, it just yeah, it was just kind of quick. And like, it's funny that you say the the deal with Pittman's entrance. It's almost longer. Like the entrances are almost longer than the match. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. This is a. I definitely think they're they need to uh, shift their pacing based on this larger arena because I think he's used to he, taking so long to get to uh, the ring, and now we're in a much bigger space, and so he's just like taken totally off guard by ha- uh, by how far away he is. Plus, it goes to what Dave was saying. Like the pace of this show is go go go. Uh, so I th- it all it feels like they're in a rush all night. After a break, we get some zappy zaps, and out comes High Voltage. They have not been on Nitro since the night after Halloween Havoc, but they have not let themselves go. These dudes are as jacked and as beefed up as ever. They will be facing Harlem Heat tonight, and out come the Heat with Sister Sherry. Larry is still incensed over Sting's actions, uh, but here to call all the action is a man who will never get mad at Sting, Dave Amantorp. <laughs> Um, So our matchup begins with Booker T and Kenny Chaos, who, once he's standing next to a member of Harlem Heat, I'm like, wow, Kenny Chaos is fucking huge. I mean, I know that they're beefy. I didn't didn't realize that they were, like, really tall individuals as well. But, like, they're pretty – yeah, I can – you could definitely look at guys like High Vultures and see the promise that they probably – like, that, that trainers and things like that could see in them. But it's mm-hmm. just, uh, it's uh, as you'll see, it's there's some of that execution that's a uh, that's kind of a Achilles heel for them. Um, so Booker T whips Chaos off the ropes, and I think I think Chaos was trying to go for a sunset flip, but it gets it messed up so badly that he decides just to hold on to a waist lock and just wait for Booker T to figure out like, oh, I should backdrop him. Um, mm. there, I mean, it's like, it's a little bit of a mix up, but you could, it's just like, you can see with chaos that he's like, Oh, I couldn't figure this out. I don't know how to improvise here. So, mm. uh, it's kind of a, uh, an inauspicious beginning to this match. Uh, chaos recovers to hit a clothesline and a body slam before tagging in Robbie rage who enters the match via a slingshot leg drop, which does look impressive. 
Um, shortly after this, I I could have sworn we were seeing a replay of the Giant barging into the NWO locker room. But no, it's actually attempt number two at getting at Hollywood Hogan. Doug Dillinger and Stadium Security are, are in the room. I said they're now in the room, but I didn't realize the first time around they showed up there too. Um, but yeah, lots and lots of people are in there to push the Giant out. Um, this second attempt is noteworthy as Vincent and Bagwell were visibly laughing during the segment. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, yeah, they were they were uh, they were yucking up with each other. <laughs> I did notice the instead of four legged feline, this time the giant calls Hogan a big monkey. Ooh, <laughs> animal kingdom insults are just escalating. <laughs> right. So this takes about a minute away from the ring. Um, typically, when I do play by play by play, I I time matches so I can um, kind of figure out like how much longer there is in the match. This takes like a minute, like a, a solid minute away. And right. when we return, it's uh, to Mark Curtis escorting Kenny Chaos to his respective corner as Robbie Rage gets assaulted by Booker T and Sister Sherry at ringside. Uh, Booker T is now tagged in and he hits the Harlem sidekick for a two count. Uh, he follows up with a sidewalk slam before going to the middle turnbuckle, but his flying elbow drop gets nothing but canvas. Robbie tags in Kenny, and before you know it, all four men are in the ring, and mayhem has ensued. While Mark Curtis instructs Robbie to return to his respective corner, Stevie Ray lifts Kenny Chaos onto his shoulders, where Booker T hits him with a missile dropkick for the pinfall victory. Um, I feel like we're getting a couple weeks here. It seems like we're maybe building up Harlem Heat, having them on Nitro frequently, getting victories. I assume this is towards something bigger and better for them um like you said we haven't seen high voltage in a while um i feel like that they're they're in the meantime their training has not provided dividends quite yet um but yeah i I don't know i mean i guess as far as like i i love seeing harlem heat no matter what so um i enjoyed it to that degree but this match was nothing really noteworthy or memorable in my opinion it's interesting with harlem heat because the thing that I find fascinating is I liked them as a team. I did. I think it's interesting the dynamic where they had Sherry with them and then Colonel Robert Parker with them. And so like, there's always kind of like managers involved, so on and so forth. And then the moment that Booker T kind of, it's seemingly like the moment Booker T goes off on his own, he just has like enormous success in singles <laughs> like just <laughs> wins all these tv titles like all this stuff and it's just kind of like uh why did you guys always surround yourself with like the stable of people when you are just awesome on your own You're like right <laughs> yeah, it was just kind of a weird thing but like um yeah on this one too like eh, i don't know if it was just to another excuse to get harlem heat on tv or get sherry on tv or just having matches go that we're going to be, oh, it's time for a tag. But it just kind of felt like they were throwing things together because I don't even remember the last time. I didn't even know the last time High Voltage was on Nitro prior to this. My biggest takeaway here was last week Harlem Heat won their match with uh, a move that we had not at least seen called on Nitro before, uh, and that was the uh, Heat Bomb. This week, it was this missile dropkick tag team finisher, and this one is called the Heat Seeker. Uh, Tony yeah. made sure to point that out. Like, how many secret tag finishers 
does Harlem Heat have that they didn't use in the first year and a half of Nitro that all of a sudden, two weeks in a row, they're breaking out different tag finishers? That was that was the biggest surprise for me. And it's also too funny because, like, the tag finishers are working. Like, that's the other... (laughs) That seems like it would be kind of a good, like, uh, a gimmick or a story for a tag team. It's like... You, you keep beating your your opponents because they haven't scouted this other new tag team move because they haven't seen it yet. So they should they should go like five or six weeks and they're it's just a new finisher every week and just breaking everyone's minds. But even if it's brand new, uh, Tony still already knows the name of it. That's what I want. I want Tony oh. to, and he <laughs> acts like it's one that he's that he is well familiar with. So every time he's just like, oh, here comes the heat wave. Here's the heat bomb. Here's the heat seeker. Here's uh, heat, heat, heat. Like just, just every week, Tony knows what it is, and no one else has ever seen it. That's what I want. I, I want to see. I want to see something that's called the heat wave. <laughs> I don't know why that that one's funny to me. After a commercial, Tony tells us that on Saturday night we'll see the Barbarian versus Arn Anderson and Scott Norton versus Lex Luger, and I say hell yes to both of those matchups. Yes, absolutely. Tony then tells us that with the Big Napty convention in town, there are also several members of the WCW Championship Committee who are right this very moment meeting to determine what to do about the title shot that the Giant feels he is owed. As Tony and Larry cover this news, the NWO music plays and out comes Eric Bischoff, Ted DiBiase, and Vincent. They make their way to the broadcast table and kick out Tony and Larry. Larry says he doesn't mind, he's still happy from winning that golf tournament earlier, but he does get in a parting shot telling Eric that if he keeps pissing off the executive committee, he's going to be back to mowing Vern Gagne's lawn again. Which is awesome. First of all, I gotta throw this out there, because this is like something that's super common on indie wrestling commentary, where it's like, I'm going to take a shot at you for a a completely different era show or whatever (laughs) that only I might know, but I'm going to get it in there. And like the best part is, is like, doesn't really matter. It doesn't like it's it's sure. the only thing that for Zabisco is that it's a break from him ripping on Sting the whole time. <laughs> Just that, that's <laughs> it. It's like I uh, on paper maybe it sounds like a funny burn, and it's almost definitely referring to a, a real thing because Larry is Vern's son-in-law, and Eric was like a gopher in the AWA. It's very possible knowing what we know about Vern Gagne, that he did get Eric Bischoff to mow his lawn. But the fact that Larry, like, Larry gets in that burn, but at the end of the day, Eric Bischoff is still his boss. Right. Whatever happened 20 years ago in Minneapolis has no bearing on the situation in WCW in January of 1997. Yeah, because it would have been great if he was like, yeah, you can go back to mowing uh, Vern's lawn, and he was just like, you're fired. Okay, well, I won a golf (laughs) tournament, and just walks off, and that's it. (laughs) It reminds me of that, uh, one of my favorite, like, news outtakes that's on YouTube where uh, this reporter and the anchor get in a fight and the reporter tries to come back with, like, you know, I used to teach you a thing or two when uh, I was your boss and the anchor's like, yeah, and now I'm your boss, so who gives a shit? Got him. (laughs) (laughs) If Eric is concerned about the executive committee, he isn't showing it doing his normal smug arrogance routine. He introduces the weird, creepy Sting video package that we've had on several recent Nitros with the distorted audio, uh, claiming that the Sting is 
definitely the NWO's man because no matter what happens, uh, the NWO will forget whatever happened a week. Just like uh, the announcers are always convinced that Sting is in the NWO, the NWO mm-hmm. are always convinced that Sting is in the NWO. And I feel like these are signs that if you're a fan that watches every week, now you know he's not in the NWO. Like the moment <laughs> the NWO is like, yeah, he's totally on board. This is a thing that's happening. This is totally real. That you're like, oh, yeah, that's just the NWO. And we, we've talked about it before because it's very confusing uh, as far as, like, is the NWO just saying that or are they delusional? We haven't we haven't quite figured out what their motivation is every time yeah. they're they're claiming that Ed Sting's in the NWO. After that, outstruts Diamond Dallas Page, who missed Nitro last week. Two weeks ago, of course, Page alluded to finally knowing what he has to do. Last week, he and Scott Hall missed Nitro to have a business dinner together. And now Eric Bischoff puts him over as the newest member of the New World Order. As enhancement talent Mark Starr makes his way to the ring, Eric reminds us that Paige is his neighbor and says now Paige can finally come over for adult beverages and hot dogs. (laughs) (laughs) The bell bell rings and Paige works a side headlock, blocks a hip toss, and has a hip toss blocked, then knees Starr in the gut. He hits a DDT and tries to set up the diamond cutter, but Star thumbs him in the eye. Star tries an Irish whip, but Page reverses it, sending Star into the corner. Page comes off the ropes and catches Star ricocheting off the turnbuckle to hit a somewhat sloppy diamond cutter for the quick win. Burgers and beans are on me, DDP, says Bischoff, and I have a new favorite quote. Now, uh, we saw that one. Paige is normally so tight with that cutter. That one was a little sloppy. Darren, your finisher, the ginger snap, bears a striking resemblance to the diamond cutter. I was wondering, what is the secret to hitting a good one? You got to really clasp it in there. You got to really get underneath the chin. And, like, the thing with the, you know, like, obviously... Uh, DDP, it would be an influence for where I got the the ginger snap. But the biggest, I remember him constantly having different ways to hit it, like sliding out of this, reversing that. And I felt like they were just trying to show like every week, be like, nah, you did it that way last time. Try and do it this way. Like they were, they were <laughs> right. crossing off things off the list. And uh, that was one where I was kind of like, oh man, okay, so he's going to try and uh, do this. And I haven't really seen that <laughs> it done that way uh, yeah. since, I don't even think. It just was very, uh, very weird. And uh, yeah, it looked like it just kind of didn't connect the way it should. But um, yeah, it was just kind of one of those like, oh, well, he, I mean, the crowd still liked it. And it was just like, oh yeah, he he got it. Uh, yeah, he coming off a rope too yeah awesome you know it's just kind of like oh yeah that's a fact (laughs) nice move ddp ddp seems to have a little more spunk tonight don't you think oh yes that's our man burgers and beans are on Step on over this weekend. We'll grill up a few, tip a few, and have an NWO time. Hey, hey, hey. hey. The Kev. The brothers. Hey, man. Looking good. This is the stuff. The welcome wagon, if you will. <laughs> Going out to officially welcome DDP aboard. 
Hey, Page said it himself. That may be a little slow, but I know what I got to do. Yes! There we go. Great. We love you, Page. Picked a great time to have a celebration in, too, huh? Jam-packed at the Superdome. And I'll tell you what, this makes the Super Bowl look weak. This that. is beautiful. Look at that. Yes! Oh, yes! That looks great! Yes! It's official. Hey! Oh! No! No, no, I can't believe what I'm seeing. You just made a big mistake, Dallas. just made the absolute biggest mistake of your entire life. I'm heading back to the locker room. I got some friends that are going to want to talk to this geek. Yeah, we're going to do something about this right now. Red-headed maggot. Let's get out of here. Nash and Hall walk down the aisle to celebrate with Paige. Nash is in the ring first, and he and Paige hug to a big pop. Hall tosses him an NWO shirt that Paige happily puts on. Nash poses to the crowd, and behind him, Hall and Paige shake hands. But after a moment, Paige noticeably doesn't let go of Hall's hand. Instead, he suddenly yanks Hall back towards him and hits him with a excellent diamond cutter. Yeah, he made up for that other diamond cutter for sure. Nash turns around to see what just happened, and hilariously, DDP at first tries to act confused, like he has no idea why Hall is suddenly on the mat. Like, I don't know, man, I just found him this way. <laughs> <laughs> Nash charges in DDP ducks Nash goes over the top rope onto the table at ringside that Tony and Larry used to announce from in the earlier days of Nitro uh, he rolls off the table but he wants to make sure to give a good visual of taking the like the table going over too so he grabs it as he rolls over but he whips it way too fast and it almost like nails some fans in the front row specifically uh, several children who are sitting there they like recoil as they're almost just nailed by this giant table it goes legs first at like two kids <laughs> like both like it it almost looks as though he's like backstage he was like do you think i could whip this table into the crowd <laughs> and like because he flips grabs it and there's like a pivot roll and then all of a sudden right into the right into the guardrail and, like, the other thing, too, is, like, you mentioned it. Why is that table still out there for any reason at that particular right. spot? And, right. and, like, it's almost like Nash forgot that it was there, too, but was like, well, I'm going to make the best of it. And <laughs> just, like, <laughs> grabbed it and whipped it. Now, if the crowd liked DDP joining the NWO, they loved DDP sticking it to them even more. They are just on their feet. They love this. DiBiase and Bischoff are still on commentary, and they are aghast and angry at this turn of events. Paige hops the guardrail and celebrates among the fans as Eric promises that Paige is now at the top of the NWO's enemies list. With that, we go to commercial. Uh, what a segment! I uh, That was excellent. I thought that was so, so, so good. Obviously, the match was just a squash, but what followed was really incredible. It was such a complete story told in really such a short period of time and with 
with so few actions. There, you know, there was a beginning, middle, and end. There was betrayal. There was everything. Uh, it it was just fantastic. Darren, what do you think? That is one of my most memorable moments of Nitro. That's one of my favorite ones because when you told me about this episode, I remembered that specific spot. And the the reason is, and correct me if I'm wrong, because there was like traditionally there was like the WCW guys just kind of fighting from underneath. But this was kind of like the first person who's really been able to get a shot in at them and get away with it. As far as I remember, because like Sting's hanging out like Luger and the Steiners are fighting for WCW, but they haven't really done much like to put a dent in it as the NWO is growing. And like it really, in my opinion, like made Paige. Actually, I don't think it's I don't think it's a hot take at all, but I feel like that was the moment that made Diamond Dallas Page like a premier star in that company. And I loved Paige. And so like seeing him get to do this was like super, it was cool that I was like, Oh, they're, they're going to make a star out of someone else. It's not like they brought in a Piper or they brought in a, you know, like, mm-hmm. it's not like they did anything. Like, it was like, they're going to build one of their guys. And like, I thought it was cool. Cause like the funny part is, is like with everyone joining defecting and going into the NWO, you could almost see it going either way and being like, well, yeah, Paige joined him too. So what do we have left? You know, it's just like mm-hmm. you're waiting for cast-offs. You know, like who did the NWO finally have an ego problem and send them out just like the giant? Who's going to be in that boat? But like DDP actually made the choice and actually did that and it got an awesome reaction. I think like I love the fact that when he hits the cutter, like that wave of how the people just like stand up and go nuts for like the move when it hits. And so like, I think it was a defining, like that a star was born with that move. And I always, and I remember watching it when I was growing up too and being like, Oh yeah, DDP is going to be a star now. I think uh, one thing you said that I, I, I think is absolutely true is uh, you know, is the first person to get over uh, like get something over on this part of the NWO. Cause they've got all those jobbers and those guys have lost your Wall Streets, your Bubba's, your Nick Patrick's. And we have had Piper beat Hogan, uh, but the outsiders have been like these untouchable, cool guys who are never, they're never the butt of the joke. They're never the victim of somebody else. And so to finally see somebody uh, give it to them and to see how like much they must like Paige and how much they sold for it. Uh, really goes a long way, I think, to that's why this is so effective at building him up because nobody has made the Outsiders look anything less than the absolute baddest asses in the entire roster of WCW to this point. And also, too, I want to add to that because I was thinking about it as I said it. Piper beats Hogan. He beats Hogan in a non-title match that he asked for that he basically is just like, I just want to show you that I can. And from that moment on, he is going to decide that he's going to leave. Like, the NWO, NWO is running roughshod over everybody. And Piper comes in, he beats Hogan, and he's like, there, I did it. I don't want the championship. I don't want the title. I want to say I did it. Hopefully I inspired some WCW people to do the same. I'm out. I'm going home. And it's just kind of like, uh... Okay, because like it's another one of those things where you're like, oh, it's a non-title match. He has a chance where he can win now because the title's not on the line. So it was just kind of like, okay, thanks Mm -hmm. (laughs) for that. (laughs) But like, you know, it's not like it's not even they followed up with somebody being like, 
Piper, Piper proved that the NWO could be beatable. Who's going to step up? And, and it wasn't even like their own roster was doing it. It was eventually they had to like coax them to come back and get like the right. shot at Super, Super Brawl, right? Is where it's Piper and Hogan again. Yeah, the I believe that's the cage match is Super Brawl, yes. <laughs> yeah, so it's just kind of one of those deals where it's like, uh, yes, right? It, it, it's like the whole deal, if you're a Simpsons fan, it reminds me of the uh, sanitation inspector. <laughs> where, ah, yeah, like, I watched that one just a month or so ago. <laughs> it's one of my favorite ones where Homer like, you know, messes up the entire town. They bring back the old sanitation commissioner and he walks in and he's like, ah, this feels so good. You're all screwed. Bye. <laughs> and just walks off. And like, that's exactly like the, the thing that I felt kind of with Piper in a way where he's just like, I did what I said I was going to do. I'm going to go home. Okay. The NWO <laughs> still really powerful. Thanks. <laughs> Dave, what did you think of, uh, pages getting one over on the outsiders here? This whole segment is just fucking phenomenal. Um, another, just another aspect I wanted to mention about it is that Diamond Dallas Page has been dealing specifically with outsiders and a little bit of six for the last few months in regards to him joining the NWO. And the whole time, Diamond Dallas Page has been playing like the defensive position. He's always answering accusations or that the NWO is kind of like, because the NWO cost him at, Slam, at Starcade. United States Championship, and he never, he he just took it. He had not, he had no other choice but to just kind of take the loss, and so the now it's like you just kind of like there was this build up for months, and you're kind of waiting for Page to make his decision, and he does it in such an emphatically badass way. What not only that he's like I'm not joining, but it's also gonna be a fight between us. Um, it's it is like what what Darren is saying. It's and I was kind of trying to think of it in my mind of like, this seems like this is the first time a significant en- member of the NWO was the victim of a sneak attack. And not only that, but it wasn't one where they immediately like turned around and the whole NWO beats them down anyway. Uh, right. Yeah. It, it like played off so well. Like there, and there's like the shot of page, like doing the, the 10 in, in the crowd. And you like, like, yeah, like also what Darren was saying, it's like, I felt the same thing. It's like you felt like a major player in WCW was born in that moment. Um, and the idea that he is, he's not just going to face those, the B squad guys. He's going after like, like basically the head of the beast. Um, and I think it's going to do, it's going to be great for him. And I'm looking forward to, I, I just, I can't remember what ends up happening with Paige? Is he facing Scott Hall, or is he gonna team up with someone for against the Outsiders? But this seems like it's a great position for Diamond Dallas Page to be in. Um, and then just like just a brief note, because we mentioned it over the last like a uh, couple of episodes, as far as the condition of Scott Hall's face. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, and it looks just fine. Um, like yeah, the the, yeah. the week off, it's been like eight days since he just got all jacked up by Jerry Sags, but. Yeah, it seems like it, it's it, it seems like he's recovered fine. After that, we get a commercial uh, with interesting timing as they include an NWO promo, uh, one of the NWO style promos with Hall and Nash uh, talking about their match with the Steiners at Sold Out, saying that they're at a the Steiners are at a disadvantage against uh, the Outsiders at Sold Out because this isn't a wrestling match; it's a fight. They also claim to have Scott Steiner's X-rays and know exactly which bones in his back to attack. The Outsiders promise to pick the Steiners apart. 
Uh, it, it's a good promo. It's it's fine. It's just maybe odd placement because we just watched them um, be the, like I said, the butt of the joke. And so, like, within mm. that commercial break, to have them acting all cool and cocky, it just, if you're actually watching this live, I think that would have been, like, an odd dichotomy that doesn't really work. Um, but I'm sure they just didn't, you know... All the ads and stuff are figured out long before they know the show's format. So it's just one of those weird coincidences. But it, it stuck out, especially when you're watching on the network and there's no other commercials to buffer between them. It's just the outsiders get laid out and then here they are talking about how they're going to kick the hell out of the Steiner brothers. Yeah. Larry and Tony are back after the break and they love Diamond Dallas Page. Uh, Larry says that that's someone Sting should look up to, and Tony agrees with him, <laughs> which I thought was more surprising. <laughs> Tony says that while they were away, the executive committee has made their decision, and someone is walking the two blocks from the Hyatt Regency over to the Superdome to communicate that decision. I guess they don't have a phone. They have to. They called to say we made a decision, and then they said we'll walk over there and tell you what the decision <laughs> actually is. <laughs> right. meanwhile a a complete afterthought dean malenko and the united states heavyweight champion eddie guerrero make their way to the ring it's not immediately clear if this match is for eddie's title since he's not in possession of the championship belt no one can hold it up ahead of time so i'm assuming Mm -hmm. it's not uh but that's who's facing off dean and eddie start off with some chain wrestling which is characteristically well done Fans facing the hard cam are so thrilled to see themselves up on the big screen that they spend minutes waving at their arms like complete rubes. I mentioned that earlier. Uh, we're like 45 minutes in, and they're still doing it. As the two men continue, Tony goes back to Piper's uh, gibberish from two weeks ago, confirming that, yes, it was indeed the ancient language Gaelic. Gaelic is a regional descendant of Old Irish spoken throughout Scotland until it was largely replaced by English. It's been on the decline since the late 11th century, and as of the 2011 census, only a little over 1% of Scotland's population still reported the ability to speak it. Apparently that included the uh, Canadian Scotsman Roddy Piper, who can only speak <laughs> it when he's like near death, apparently. <laughs> right. As Dean and Eddie continue to work a slow catch-as-catch-can style, Tony goes on to more news. We now have word from the championship committee who has decided that, yes, the Giant can have his title shot, but they have decided that it will not take place on the 25th it sold out. Instead, that match will take place tonight. What? (laughs) Eddie hits a side suplex, the most impactful move of the match so far. He gets a slingshot sent on for two, and it's clear that uh, they finally got the word that all the, like, business is done on commentary and they can pick up the pace of the match because they do it like on a dime all of a sudden they start doing moves dean dumps eddie to the outside but allows guerrero to come back into the ring unperturbed they square off again and eddie shoots the leg and the two go back to slowly exchanging submission attempts i like watching these guys wrestle that style but you can hear a a little bit of a boring chant breakout (laughs) eddie Eddie gets Dean in a figure four, and Dean finally makes it to the ropes and heads outside. Eddie heads to the top rope, hoping to hit his plancha, I'm assuming, but Dean has that well scouted and walks in the other direction. Back in the ring, a regroup Dean takes over with elbows. He tries a powerbomb, but Eddie reverses it into an arm drag. Dean gets a hurricanrana, but Eddie follows that with a tilt-a-roll backbreaker for two. 
Eddie tries a tornado DDT, but Dean throws him through the air and Eddie crashes to the mat as Tony talks about how huge this night is, as now there's both a championship match and there's still going to be the premiere of the new Adventures of Robin Hood right here on TNT. Oh, my whole night is set. (laughs) Dean follows up with a running knee to the gut and then an abdominal stretch. Dean works Eddie to the mat and switches it to more of a half Nelson. He finally rolls over for a pin attempt, but Eddie is right next to the ropes and easily gets a break. The crowd reacts to something off screen as Eddie tries a sunset flip that Dean does not go down for. We cut to the source of the crowd's distraction. It's Six sitting on top of a ladder off to the corner of the arena floor. One fan thinks Six is hungry and throws him a handful of popcorn. (laughs) Dean gets a suplex for two and slaps on a chin lock before setting Eddie up for punches in the corner. The two men exchange strikes with Eddie firing up after a European uppercut. They chain together some nice pin attempts before breaking apart, and Eddie ducks a clothesline, turning it into a backslide for two. Dean applies a knuckle hold while pinning, but Eddie kicks out. Eddie gets up, keeping his knuckles interlaced with Malenko's, and hops to the top rope for a springboard Rana for two. Dean gets a brainbuster for a two of his own. The Iceman tries for another, but Guerrero does an awesome roll to catch him in a pin attempt for two. Now, Eddie gets a brainbuster for his own two. He calls for the frog splash, but gets distracted by six, so he stands on the middle rope, back to the ring, talking smack. Dean sneaks right up and under him, hits him with a powerbomb off the middle rope for the victory. Uh, this was about 12 minutes, the only decent length match on the entire card. Uh, started really slow by necessity because they were they knew they were doing so much on commentary. They knew they weren't going to be the focus for the first couple minutes. Uh, I thought by the end, though, it got pretty good. It I The crowd, oddly, did not appreciate that they were seeing Eddie and Dean and, and didn't like the chain wrestling stuff, but uh, mm-hmm. I thought this was a good match. Darren, how about you? Uh, this is always my <clears throat> normal takeaway from anything that is generally nitros or thunders. Like It's kind of funny. Like You can scroll through... And this is a good example of it where you're like, oh, interesting match, squash match, whatever it is. But then you'll have like a weird combination where it's either a cruiserweight match or these, you know, like uh, Malenko, Eddie, basically the radicals or anything like that. And you're always like, ooh, interesting combination. So it would be like Volano 4 versus Lismark Jr. Uh, (laughs) Right. Sick Boy versus, you know, whoever. And then all of a sudden it will be like Chris Benoit versus Eddie or, you know, whatever it is. And you're just like, oh, okay, cool. But it's always like in the weird spot in the, you know, like you can kind of tell how they lined it up. It's in the middle of the show trying to go against like either the first hour of like Raw or whatever. But it's it's just kind of amusing because to me, where we were talking about the opening match where they're talking about anything but – you're right. They're talking about all this stuff. And I remember just being like, oh, we got this huge announcement. We got this big announcement. And you're almost waiting for them to like just cut to something else again rather right. than just like, you know, because anything else. But then when he's like, yeah, we have a big title match and a debut of Robin Hood. And it's just like, oh, boy, you know, it's like poor guys <laughs> out there. You know, it's just like because the, the match itself, like. I was kind of watching with the volume low, so I didn't really pick up until I actually heard them go get really excited about the title match itself. Like the, the fact that there's going to be a title match, I could see that being a big deal, but like there's probably, and I'm trying to remember the format off the top of my head, but probably the match after this or after this match alone, you could probably have waited to make this big announcement. Like they could have just had mean gene come out and been like, 
we just got word about this. And like, it would have been way better than having to do it during that match. And that's just such a notorious like overlay that they do. These poor matches just get buried in there and they're always good. And they're always like, you know, when you're watching them, you're like, oh, if I need something that I would want to watch or go back and revisit, perfect. Dean and Eddie, I know I can, I know I have this match. This is going to be good. And here they are just talking about like this weird championship match that's going to happen. And I, and again, like trying to be clear on why they think that that's a better decision to do it then than that sold out and like why it's become such a big deal that it's gone over this whole episode so far is just crazy to me. Uh, yeah, on the one hand, it's it's weird that these guys get the respect of uh, a match that's three times as long as the next closest match on the card, uh, but they don't get the respect of the commentators spending very much time acting like it's important, you know? Mm-hmm. These guys are just, you're, they always relied on to turn into good performance, and yet they're just never allowed to be anything more than a good performance. After a commercial, it's time for hour number two, so Tony is now joined by Mike Tanay and Bobby Heenan. After recapping the Giant and Hogan story from the first hour, Super Kolo makes his entrance. His opponent will be Conan, who makes his way to the ring with Jimmy Hart. And here to call this one is the original Cholo, Dave Amantorp. <laughs> um... So I guess they kept Super Kolo on retainer as he was supposed to wrestle Hacksaw Jim Duggan earlier in the night. And if that's the case, then what was Conan originally supposed to be doing? Was he also going to wrestle Super Klo? Was Super Klo doing double duty tonight? The world may never know. <laughs> Lots of arm drags and pinning combinations in the opening minute of this bout before Super Klo drop kicks Conan out of the ring. Uh, he then comes off the ropes and hits a suicide dive senton, and I'm immediately reminded, oh, that's right, Super Klo always tries to murder himself in the ring. Yeah, he splats on the he like bounces off Conan and just splats and it looks very painful, but he's mostly only worried about the the beanie that is part of his mask, which I love. I love super clothes that his hats are part of his mask and I love that this time it's a like a winter stocking cap. Yeah. It's it's amazing. But yeah, he has it's just complete disregard for his own body. Uh, Super Klo tries to keep the m- momentum back in the ring, but Conan fights back, hitting his Patton rolling clothesline, and then dropping Klo with two straight power bombs. Because Conan doesn't give a fuck. Uh, Conan goes to the middle turnbuckle, but Super Klo is back on his feet in time to leap to the top and take his opponent down with a flying head scissors for a two count. Super Klo comes off the ropes and tries for a cross body block. I I believe Conan was supposed to catch him and hit the cradle DDT, but he doesn't get his hands up in time and just lets Kolo bounce off of him. Uh, Then he stands there and stares at him for a few moments. Yeah, it it looked to me like it was maybe Conan's screw-up, but he stares with disgust at Super Kolo afterward. He's furious at what just took place. Right. Um, So I... There's a little bit more evidence towards this because immediately after, Conan whips Super Klo off the ropes and hits the Cradle of DDT for the pinfall victory. Um, I also wanted to highlight in the aftermath, uh, we get some one of the whitest moments ever of Jimmy Hart looking at the camera and saying, Viva La Raza, in his very <laughs> Jimmy Hart voice. <laughs> Uh, this is a this was a pretty nothing match. I mean, uh, I don't. I I'm trying to remember. Oh yeah, Conan. Well, Conan kind of finished his feud of sorts with 
Big Bubba already. So I'm not really sure what they're building him up to at this point. But this was kind of just a, a few minutes of just just kind of a ordinary match. I, I guess I didn't really get a whole lot more of it than that. Except for, you know, every time you see Super Klo, you keep wondering, like, how is this dude going to be able to walk when he's 50 years old? But mm. Yeah, I don't have a ton to say about that one. It was it was what it was. It was, you know, a lot of the matches on here, it's hard to even be that negative because everything was so short that if you didn't like something, you didn't have to not like it for too long. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, it was just a, a pretty short, quick match. I wish Kolo wouldn't do such crazy things for a three-minute Nitro match that, that probably isn't going to make a big impression on, on people, unfortunately. I wish, you know, if he wants to bust out something like that, at least do it, like, on Sold Out or The Clash or whenever he's in that um, that six-man tag that we talked about that he's on, on on one of those shows. Sure. I wish he'd save it for, at least save it for that. Yeah, I I get the feeling that Super Close is not the kind of guy that like hits the brakes very often, though. <laughs> Darren, what'd you think of uh, Conan versus Super Close? It, it you know it felt kind of it's like you were saying. I can't even say it's like a placeholder because like a lot of times it, it was like they had six matches that they felt like they just kind throw out there and were just like, all right, everything, it, whatever you do, just go three or four. And back in you go. And I don't know if it, it was a pacing issue or what, but some matches just don't feel like they ever catch a rhythm. And I feel like that's kind of par for the course in this particular match as well. What does that feel like in the ring? Are you just the whole time trying to, are you trying to do stuff different than normal and hope that it, you know, it clicks because you're you're just trying something else now? Or is it better to stick with with uh, you know what's more comfortable and just hope that eventually you, you find that that better rhythm? Uh, I mean, for me, like when I was doing my first experience with it when I was doing TV, uh, TV matches was when I was out at Paragon and doing stuff at Paragon Pro uh, a long mm-hmm. time ago. And like it was funny, it was the first time I ever had to work with getting like major time cues or you know like far anything really uh, along those lines. And I just always kind of had something in mind where when the 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 two minute came through, I always kind of knew I could always be fine from there because that's just how I am. I, mm. I'm not a big like planner or anything like that. I don't have, you know, like anything written down all the way. Um, so the thing that was always weird to me was the, actually the opposite because I was like, oh, it looks like we're just looks like I'll just start going here because it's like, <laughs> fine, if you want me to cut this out, that's great. But um you know, I would go out there and they'd be like, all right, you got six minutes. And I was like, okay. And then I'd be doing a match and they would be like, all right, uh, we're running a little short overall. Can you add two minutes? And I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Cause like, really, it was like, I could always, I could always just cut and go. Uh, I just knew that the only thing about it is I'm so like uh, crowd interactive that I just couldn't take the time really to like get too up into like yelling and like letting those spots like marinate. I just always was like, all right, got to go to the next thing, got to go to the next thing. But I'm guessing like in a situation like that, where you have, you know, like this is going on backstage, the ref is getting this and you have this, this and this, and you're trying to do the best on, you know, like 10,000 people are there, which is one of their biggest crowds that they've had. 
I'm sure there's just like a lot of randomness that's going into why things are not feeling the way they are. And it's also probably in the back of your head where you're like, well, we got to go three. So, you know, like the main event's got this or these guys have this. And you're like, well, let's not try and take away from this match. You know, like, let's get this going on. But Mm -hmm. it was funny that to me, these while the matches are quick, it's the everything before them, you know, like the getting to the ring, it's the entrances, it's the like random interviews, it's the getting the lines, it's the cutting for the segments. Like those are the things that are very odd on this where it's just very, very choppy. And it just, I, I, I don't know what the source of it is or if it's just a giant domino effect throughout the show. I just, right. I, I can't pinpoint it. After the break, we're promised Jeff Jarrett versus Chris Benoit in a return match from Starcade. So we had to break with a replay of the Jarrett and Arn confrontation and impromptu match from a week ago. After commercial, Benoit comes out with Woman conspicuously using his old theme and not the horseman music. As they walk to the ring, we get a pre-taped Taskmaster promo filmed in front of a black background with a chessboard. Sullivan says that Benoit has infected another person in his life. He doesn't want to talk to Benoit because... uh, (laughs) Because talk is for lovers, which I've never heard. That is not an expression. That's That barely <laughs> makes sense. Talk is like basic human communication. Everyone does it. It is not reserved for lovers. <laughs> he promises that next Monday in Chicago, rather than play with Benoit, he's going to take the board back and he smashes the chess pieces over to the side. This is like textbook Taskmaster promo where the delivery was fine, But if you listen to the words he's saying, none of them mean anything or add up to any kind of sensible statement that you can discern meaning out of. It's just gibberish, basically. Yeah, and it's certainly, it's feeling like Kevin Sullivan getting wrapped up in the whole, like, chess analogy is, like, now a detriment to him because... It was a bad, it was bad idea, yeah. And because, like, he's run out of, like, uh, like, things to say because he's like, you want to play chess while I own the chessboard? Well, it's like okay, so we have a chessboard, so we can play chess. Like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get what he was suggesting there, as far yeah. as that is concerned. But yeah, it, it, like you said, it's like it has all like the the uh, intensity and like inflection of Kevin Sullivan, but it's just like, what on earth are you saying? I mean, at least he got the point across of like there's gonna some, something's gonna happen on Monday, which is they mentioned is interesting because it's the following day on Tuesday that him and Benoit will have their um, pinfalls call anywhere match. So it's like, right. Is, is he going to try to be like, I don't want to wait till clash of the champions or something like that. Tony backtracks from his earlier statement that the match between Hogan and giant tonight uh, would be for the title specifying that he's learned it will actually be a non-title match because the champion must be given at least 48 hours to prepare uh, when they're defending their championship. That's such a... I, I don't understand at all why they did it this way other than that they're competing against Raw, but by the time we get to the main event, Raw will have been off the air for 45 minutes. So it that wouldn't make sense either. I don't know why they build it as a title match for like a half hour and then changed their mind and told us all that it's not a title match. It seemed very weird to me. Somebody else was walking over with that information late from uh, the <laughs> hotel and just didn't get there in time. And... It's amusing to me, too, because like sometimes I love just in general, just in general pro wrestling. I love wrestling rules that are in yes. there where it's like a ah, champion needs 48 hours and you're just like, ah, 
I guess. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess that makes sense because any other sport you need to train, I suppose, right? It, it, and like just the the stuff like that is sometimes I feel like they could just try and throw things in there and I and I would love to see the plan where they're like, how do we how do we change this uh, and say that he doesn't have to defend it? He, let's just say he needs a couple days. All right, perfect. 48 <laughs> hours. Right. Let's go with that. And just like already the idea that he's already postponing a championship match that's like guaranteed <laughs> to the giant. And then they're like, I'm sorry, man, what can you do? He needs two days to figure this out. And it's, I mean, at least he gave you like a couple, at least he gave you a little bit more than that before the pay-per-view. So th- there's just so many odd things. And I love like in the contract, in the fine print, all that stuff. So that was always a, an amusing thing to me. Cause I was wondering how they were going to, now that it's not for the championship, I was thinking that it was going to completely be like, Oh yeah, now giants going to win tonight or something like that. You know, like that's where I thought they were going. That kind of reminds me of something they said earlier as far as like these weird things that people will say. Um, Because Eric Bischoff in the locker room suggested Giant thinks he's going to get a title shot, but he hasn't signed a contract saying that he's going to get this title shot. So the joke's on him. When the announcers say like, yeah, but he was in World War III, in which he's guaranteed a title shot. So by doing the contract for World War III, it seems like they have that figured out already. So it's it's something else where it's like, if you you feel like that some parties are not really figuring out with each other like what makes sense and what doesn't make sense for this story it shows a flaw in the world war three title shot um clause in that with the royal rumble you know that you're going on to wrestlemania when you win world war three you just win a title shot it could be a month from now it could be six months from now i think there's one where scott hall goes almost an entire year and then just like gets a ma- wants a match on Nitro and just offhandedly says like plus I'm owed that title shot from winning the Battle Royal thing yeah. and it's been like almost an entire year since that that happened. So yeah, World War 3 they build it up like a big thing but the actual follow through uh sorely lacking. The bell rings and Benoit and Jarrett lock up and Benoit seamlessly transitions through a few holds dominating Jarrett before yelling at him to step up his game. They lock up again, and this time Jarrett mostly dominates the chain wrestling, in spite of a Jarrett sucks chant emanating from the crowd. Jarrett struts and poses, earning him the further enmity of the New Orleans faithful. Benoit gets Jarrett in a waist lock and outwalks Steve and Deborah McMichael, along with Arn Anderson about 15 paces behind them. Jarrett gets a suplex for two. Benoit clotheslines Jeff and knees him in the face several times before using Jarrett's long hair to throw him to the mat. Jarrett reverses an Irish whip and clotheslines Benoit in the corner before clotheslining him again hard and choking him on the ropes to set up a pin for two. Tanay talks about the buzz in the internet about an incident between Scott Hall and Jerry Sags at a recent house show. Uh, We've, of course, talked about that on the show before. Apparently, that real-life situation could be turning into an opportunity for an angle. Otherwise, I I don't know why Tanay would bring it up. Jeff catches Benoit with a stun gun for two. A swinging neckbreaker by Jarrett sets up the figure four, but Arn jumps to the apron to distract Mark Curtis, which also derails Jeff, and Benoit gets to his feet to hit some punches and chops. Benoit has Jarrett pushed against the ropes, and McMichael grants a handful of Jarrett's tights to help out. Mongo wants the Halliburton case to waffle Jarrett with, but Deborah doesn't want to hand it over. Mongo lets go of Jarrett to get the case, 
And when his back is turned, Benoit and Jarrett winding switching positions so that once Mongo does get the case and turns around to swing it, he of course gets Benoit in the back rather than Jarrett. Mongo angrily throws the case in the ground and can only watch as Jeff pins Benoit for the, it's like three and a half minute victory. The horsemen are all angry, the horsemen are all angry, but Deborah is smiling over the outcome. Mongo pleads his case to Arn as Benoit is tended to by woman on the opposite side of the ring. Deborah plays in one of the cameras doing the most insincere, innocent act like possible. She, re- she nails that like I'm, I'm faking being innocent. Mm-hmm. And the horsemen head up the aisle as Heenan walks us through the replays. Uh, before we get to the promo that follows this, I thought this match, it was only three and a half minutes. I liked it a lot. I thought it was better than what they were showing at Starcade. Uh, it seemed like Jeff was bringing a little more level of aggression than he normally does. Like he was matching Benoit's, you know, hard hitting style. Uh, and I, so I wish this one had been a little longer. I was actually thinking it was pretty good. Uh, Dave, how about you? Yeah, well, I mean, I remember that Starcade was just, like, overbooked to hell, too, and that kind of affected a lot of that match. Um, yeah. Yeah, I um, I really like the finish. I like the idea of the finish and of the uh, unfortunate circumstances that just further this divide between members of the Horsemen and also um, Deborah's desire for Jarrett to be in the Horsemen, which is, like, I think is so weird and interesting because it's um it's one of the wrestlers wives that wants to change up the roster of the horsemen and pretty much everyone else is kind of like we could give or take Jarrett like there aren't any other really strong opinions except for Benoit being emphatic about him not being in um I mean we'll also see it with this uh this uh interview afterwards but just like this is another like bannered segment for Deborah in particular, she plays this, this character, she plays it so well. And you just like, without suggesting any sort of like abuse towards women, but it's just like, you just want someone to smack her at some point because <laughs> she, she yeah. gives, she is so good at giving these very disingenuous like comments. And then she turns around and starts smiling and posing for the cameras, uh, yeah. like showing that she's very flippant about like, the concerns of other people, just everything she does. Like she's constantly on and she's just like her execution is just brilliant. Like at all times, Darren, what do you think of the match? Uh, very similar. I thought that they did a really good job with the time they had. Uh, I kind of knew that this was the angle that they were looking to get. And I thought they were doing it really well. And I think there's a little bit like, there's always a lot more to it. Cause like, there's a lot of interwoven where it's, uh, you know, Deborah, Jarrett, Mongo, Jarrett, Mongo, Benoit. Like there's just constant tension and it's you're kind of waiting for the powder keg to explode. And I think this did a really good job uh, pushing that narrative. And that's what I thought was the best part about it is they did such a good job pushing that and uh, not having to spend too much time on it because you knew it's going to still build and like probably blow off somewhere else. Gene is in the aisle to talk to the horsemen about their turmoil. Mean Gene Okerlund is standing by, and Gene, I tell you, only thing I can say about the horsemen right now, the ladies, is it's a mess. Well, Tony, you said a mouthful there. I was just talking with Aaron Neville. He also shared those thoughts out of the turmoil that uh, is going on involving the four horsemen. Gene, we're going to resolve this. 
here and now, tonight. This represents horsemen. Horsemen represent an elite team. You know what being part of an elite team is all about. You're an all-pro. You want to be an all-pro wrestler? That's about being a horseman. You want to continue on being a horseman? You better quit fumbling the ball. Uh-oh. What happened tonight? What's transpired these last few weeks? Certainly don't look like no elite team to me. I was handpicked by this man to become a horseman. You became a horseman due to an unfortunate circumstance. As for you, you want to badmouth the horseman? That's fine, because that's just your style. Uh -oh. You want to badmouth me? I could care less. You want a badmouth woman? Uh-oh, he's right. You don't even want to go there. You see, woman. Look at the eyes. Woman is 100% woman from head to toe. And I talk from experience. There's no plastic, no wax, zero silicone. She is all woman. My goodness. Oh. Now, you know Kevin Sullivan's First watching off, this. Let me apologize for what just transpired. I thought I had somebody in my sights. I turned around, and it just happened to be you. Don't fault me for that. We've won a lot of matches using this thing right here, my friend. And fumbling the ball is right. I made a mistake. I'm sorry. You know, people make mistakes. Like Kevin Green and the Carolina Panthers, those expansion whips, they shouldn't have been in the championship game either. They made a mistake. All right, uh, Rick Flair is so sick to his stomach about this whole thing, he didn't even bother to show up tonight. Arn Anderson. Arn, I want to know where Flair is. Right here and now. Where is Ric Flair? This is about the horsemen. Well, listen, just like a couple of weeks ago, I didn't want to come out here and step on any toes till I got this thing sorted out, okay? Flair doesn't want a part of any of this personal thing. This is business. This is a symbol of excellence. We got to get this resolved and put back together. The horsemen are a team. You guys got to resolve this. I'm not going to stand for what's happened these last few weeks, and I'm not going to tolerate it. Shape up or ship out, Mongo. I just want to say that I am really devastated over here that these lovely people would think that I would ever gossip behind their back. I would never do such a thing because I love both of these people. I really do. Just a minute. I'm man enough to stand here and say I'm sorry for what just transpired, my friend. But if you don't want to accept my apology and you're feeling froggy, why don't you just do it? This thing started to me suddenly old-fashioned way. Arn Anderson playing the role now, the leader of the four horsemen, and trying to take control here. Arn, this thing. Arn, I don't want to hear any more excuses. I want to see results. I've been holding up my end of being a horseman. It's time for the rest of the horsemen to hold up their end. Arn Anderson. In all due respect, as they adjourn, 
They sat on you pretty good here tonight. There's not a lot left of that uh, hind quarter, so to speak. Of all nights for this to happen, why'd they have to set in on me tonight? I got a lot on me. I've still got to wrestle Rick Steiner in a few minutes. All right, still much turmoil amongst the four horsemen. We are live at the Superdome. Stay tuned as Nitro continues here on TNT. Benoit doesn't wait for Okerlund to finish his question. He grabs the mic and says that they need to resolve their problems here and now. He tells Mongo that the Horsemen are an elite team, and Mongo has been on an elite team before, alluding, of course, to the 85 Bears, uh, telling the all-pro football player that if he wants to be an all-pro wrestler, he needs to stop fumbling the ball. Benoit points out that he was handpicked to be a Horseman, but Mongo is only offered the chance due to unfortunate circumstances. Benoit warns Deborah that he doesn't mind if she badmouths the Horseman, she, he doesn't mind if she badmouths him, but she needs to stop talking shit about woman. He says that woman is 100% woman, no plastic or silicone. Mongo grabs the mic and apologizes, explaining, uh, explaining what happened with the case. He admits that he fumbled the ball and made a mistake. People make mistakes, says Mongo, just like Kevin Green's Panthers who made a mistake losing their playoff game. Boo! <laughs> <laughs> Benoit demands Arn tell him where Flair is. Arn says Flair doesn't want any part of this personal bullshit going on with the horsemen. Deborah claims that she would never gossip behind the backs of Benoit and woman because she just loves the two of them so much. Mongo apologizes again, but now he's pissed that Benoit isn't forgiving him fast enough. Arn breaks up Mongo and Benoit before things can get physical, but clearly this is starting to take a toll on the enforcer, and he's pissed that he has to deal with all of this when he should be preparing to wrestle Rick Steiner later on in the show. Uh, going back to what Darren said earlier, yeah, I think this all is a great way of continuing the story with the horsemen, of escalating it. Um, for a while, I didn't always love these horsemen in turmoil segments, uh, but this is at least the, the second week in a row where they've been really, really good, and they have found clever ways of moving the story forward incrementally, um, you know, they're, they're treading water a bit, you know, but like Darren said, you feel like the powder keg is eventually going to explode. And every week that they up those stakes just a little bit, uh, it's going to be even more impactful when that finally happens. After a commercial break, Billy Kidman heads into the ring to face Scotty Riggs. Uh, if you didn't listen to our worldwide episode that we did after our last Nitro uh, Riggs will be facing his former partner, Marcus Bagwell, who has started calling himself Buff, at Sold Out on the 25th. Here to call all the action is an American male, Dave Amantorp. <laughs> um, so whoever thought that the phrase, warm-up match for Scotty Riggs, would ever be uttered on an episode of Monday Nitro. <laughs> and yet, here we are. Um... That being said, even uh, Scotty Riggs coming out to American Male song as a solo act is a lot less is a lot less depressing than when he was randomly teamed with Robert Gibson back in December. Um, I, I mean, like I I guess they're not gonna give him a new song, but it's like American Males, and he's doing the clapping by himself. There's like <laughs> something depressing about that. The clapping was was sad. <laughs> um. As, uh, as Tony Schiavone announces Scotty Riggs' match uh, at NWO sold out, it's worth noting that they still refer to him as Marcus, or in this case, Mark Bagwell. Um, it, seems like, <laughs> it seems like they're like, 
listen, we don't know what we're going to call him yet, but I'm not going to keep saying Marcus Alexander Bagwell. We got to work on that. Um, right away when the match begins, Scotty Riggs is doing his like clapping thing. And there's like a funny moment where Kidman is like going to the referee, like, come on, man, you got to stop this. <laughs> um, the match starts off all rigs as he hits drop kicks and arm drags before settling in for an arm bar. Not to be outdone, Billy Kimmon rallies back with almost exactly the same moves in the same sequence, hitting a drop kick, an arm drag, and settling for an arm bar. This just shows that Billy Kimmon and Scotty Riggs have each other well scouted. While the two combatants battle for, to a standstill, Mark Bagwell shows up at the entrance with the most oiled up body in the history of wrestling. I mean, it looks like he poured five cans of it all over himself and just <laughs> called it a day. I didn't, didn't rub it in or anything. It's like he's dripping pretty much. <laughs> uh, the camera gets close enough so you, we can hear him say that Scotty Riggs is fat while he is buff. Meanwhile, Kidman drops Riggs to the mat, goes to the top, and misses a 450 splash. Mike Tanay calls it a shooting star press, which goes to show that even Iron Mike has his slip-ups. Uh, Scotty Riggs immediately uh, follows up by hitting a fisherman suplex, which Tony Schiavone says is Bagwell's current finishing move, and that Riggs is going to call it the Ameriplex, uh, in which he secures the pinfall victory. Uh, this match is like two minutes maybe, and it's just storyline. Um, you know, sometimes yeah. when I sometimes when Kimmin randomly shows up, I just marvel how he got out of the uh, the jobber hole that he was like stuck in for quite a while. My main thought here is that if you've got one guy already whose finisher is the uh, fisherman suplex, and you've got Kurt Henning, who's agreed uh, in principle. I don't know if he's actually signed the contract yet, but he's go he's no showed WWF. He certainly like burned his bridge there. Maybe don't give another guy the fisherman suplex as his finisher. Right. <laughs> sure. Uh, but yeah, this there's wasn't much to talk about here. Uh, it's nice to see Kidman continuing to come out and appear every once in a while because I I like this kind of the evolution of Billy Kidman over the course of Nitro as a whole. You know, he's one of those guys um, who was there the whole time. Uh, but they're just, yeah, this wasn't wasn't really much of a match. Um, and we know kind of that, that Scotty Riggs as a single is just not something that's really ever going to go places. Um, I was just going to mention, cause, and it seems like they're, it's happening with some of these, uh, like, it happens with Bischoff when he joins NWO and in a, to a way um, Hulk Hogan when he joins NWO that their heel personas like come out fully formed immediately. Like, mm -hmm. like he's, he's full on buff Bagwell at this point. I mean, the right. Look the way he talks and just having, he, he has like a lot of charisma. Cause like he has like, a, I think towards the end of the match, he has like a, another line about like him being buff and then the camera's just holding on him. So he just kind of just keeps like, yeah, keep looking. It's okay. It's free. You can keep looking at this. Like he just like riffs off all these kind of like, uh, you know, arrogant little one-liners and things like that. And you're like, man, where was this Marcus Alexander Bagwell like for all these years, you know? Yeah. Uh, Darren, what'd you think of Riggs Kidman? I, I, the awkwardness, uh, it, 
the match itself, there's not really much to cover that hasn't been. But yeah, like Scotty Riggs as a uh, just doing the clap himself. The issue is, is that's hard when you look at it is that's your impression of of Riggs. And then Marcus Alexander Bagwell comes out and just like full blown oozing personality buff Bagwell. And you're just like. Oh, I guess we know who's going to get the push in this group. You know, it's like yeah. it's very obvious. I think anytime a tag team breaks up, it seems like both guys should be completely repackaged because if one guy leaves and becomes something all new and different and shiny and one guy is still doing the thing they used to do together, just no matter what, the guy who's remaining in the original gimmick just looks kind of sad. It looks like he's trying to hold on to this thing that's dead, whereas yeah. this other person has evolved into this something that's new and more interesting and fun. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Riggs would have been better off. And eventually they do get there, but right now uh, he's just not in that place. After the match, the camera cuts to the top of the ramp where Bagwell is wearing a new sleeveless jacket. He says that Riggs can't win because he's the one that buffs. Uh, Riggs does the Raven taunt back at him, the like cross pose kind of thing, mm-hmm. and then both men leave. We go to the announce booth for some hype, and Heenan decides to demonstrate Hogan, uh, who is allegedly, according to Bobby, sweating with nervousness by Bobby just pours water onto his hands. Tony and Tanae are almost corpsing over this. They're trying very hard not to laugh. Uh, Bobby just starts wiping it on Tony's jacket when he's done with his metaphor. And as we go to break, uh, Shivani asks where he got the where he got the water, and Brain just goes, "Oh, that's not water." And we go to commercial. <laughs> right. It's like it's it's like he he reached underneath the table because like when they when they cut there, you could see that he's putting something back underneath the the table. Yeah. And it's like when you there's always the idea that he's drinking like at the booth. Yeah, he just poured he just poured gin on his hands. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, and and I because I felt like that Tanae and Tony kind of gave each other like a knowing look about this whole situation. <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it's just like I think he I I was like I think he poured booze on there because he's like, well, this would work for whatever this is, so who cares? <laughs> After break, it's time for Lee Marshall's road report. Lee is in Chicago, so we get Blues Brothers references, uh, deep dish pizza, Oprah, Six Flags. Uh, Then we get a shot of Aaron Neville, who is in the crowd tonight. After that, out to a big pop is Lex Luger, and his opponent is already in the ring. Rick Fuller is a 30-year-old independent wrestler out of Massachusetts, trained by Jimmy Snuka and Tony Atlas. He has been brought in to do jobs, uh, and they must like him because he will be around WCW for a while, losing to everyone he faces for the next year and a half or so uh, before leaving for a bit and then coming back in 99 for more losing. He had a long career afterward, though, including... I was just looking at his, his match history. He had a New Japan run in 2008 where he teamed up with Giant Bernard for most of his matches. Hmm. Uh, that's Albert, uh, Jason Bloom. And they also did some trios with such third names as Prince Devitt and Carl Anderson. And a few times he was on a team with Toro Yano. <laughs> just All right. Would not have expected that based on his, like... Very generic gear here, and his appearance, uh, his several years jobbing for WCW, but he he had a little mini six-month, nine-month run with New Japan, of all things. Uh, anyway, sorry, here to call all the action is our own strong-style correspondent, Dave Amantorp. 
Yeah, I was gonna say the Rick Fuller. He looks like he's wearing the best size of his out of his outfit, but not something that was like measured for him. It it, it kind of it, it hangs in weird places, pretty much. Yeah, it's very loose in odd odd spots. I agree. Uh, so the first minute of this match only has two moves as Luger soaks in the cheers from the capacity crowd because he is over as fuck. Yeah. Uh, those two moves are a collar and elbow tie-up and a double shoulder tackle, both which end in a stalemate. Not surprising, Rick fucking Fuller gets a series of moves in because Luger loves to comically sell for everyone. Um, yeah, he, no matter w- how short a Luger's enhancement match is he will still find a way to sell for a decent portion of it yeah uh fuller hits a clothesline and a leg drop for a two count um fuller gets some loud chops in but luger rallies back with forearms and clotheslines Uh, i think the luger smells blood and immediately he slaps on the torture rack for the relatively quick submission victory that was me trying to put as many of the moves in there as possible and it's like it, the match is like three minutes, and they don't do anything for the first minute, pretty much. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a Luger enhancement match. Uh, it's an enhancement match that the fucking crowd is just stoked for, too. When Luger rallied back, everyone lost their mind. Um, and especially when he called for the torture rack. Just further proof that Luger is like the most over babyface in WCW at this point. I mean, I know he's not he's not like the giant or I know Sting is over when he has his appearances, but when it comes to a guy that's actually regularly wrestling, no one can touch Lex Uger right now. Darren, when you were watching back in uh ninety seven, were you a Lex Luger guy? My thing with Lex is he was never like one of my favorites. I always generally liked who he was feuding with more. That was always the thing. Uh, I was very intrigued. The most intrigued I ever was with Lex Luger was the Lex Express. That I mean, like that was the where I was like, wow, the, is this like? Because I knew Lex Luger. I was a Sting fan, so I didn't like when Luger turned on Sting. This era Luger is always weird to me because I'm just always like, he seems like he's just, even at the time I was watching, he seems like he's just going through the motions. He's like, stop, flex, pose, slap (laughs) hands. And like, he's, and he's always like oddly intense when he has nothing to be intense about. But like the thing that's crazy about these matches is like, yeah, everything's like, very short. There's only like two moves or whatever leading into things. Yes, he gets beat up, but the moment he starts hitting clotheslines, like it is the craziest reaction for just like three straight clotheslines. And right. I, and I, I just, I don't. I, I mean, I wish it was like that again because, like, you can just see again, like that wave pop up, and it's just. In my mind, I was just, I'm like flabbergasted because like he's got the torture rack call and like everyone wants it. And like to me, the torture rack is only impressive if you pick people up that are bigger than you, but they normally (laughs) tap, they normally tap out right away. So like, for example, it would be like if you were doing a squat and you lowered yourself and then picked yourself back up to like put the bar back on the rack and everyone's like, ah. He got, he got all the way back up. That's pretty cool, right? Yeah. <laughs> like Because that was the torture act to me. Like, you've done the hard part. The hard part's up there. And then he would just, like, 
they tap out almost instantly. And the other thing about the torture act that's weird is like the one arm that does the tapping is always flailing, like or is not flailing around. So you're always watching the other arm and it's the one that's like closest to the body. That's just like tap out. That just does a quick tap. So mm -hmm. like you never, like to me, I never really knew when the guy tapped out because it was just like, Oh, he's got him up in the rack. He's got him up in the, Oh yeah. And he's out. <laughs> it's just like, it just, yeah. and that's it. So like, it, it kind of like felt like as soon as he had fuller up, like it's almost like they give up. Cause they're like, yeah, it's, it's going to be bad. But like, it's, it's not even like that weird angle over the torture rack. It's just like, it's on your side. So it's like a discomfort and it's like, he's going to just keep me up here. So I should just tap out. But the crowd loves it. And I, you know, like it, I never really got it, but it's whatever. Luger's over, man. The thing I love about Luger is whether he is on fire as the hottest baby face in the most popular wrestling company in January of 97, or whether he's in like a go nowhere tag team with Davy Boy Smith on the undercard of WWF in like 90, late 94, he does the exact same things. He could he could be absolutely on top of the business and he still comes out and he just does the exact same stuff and he goes back and it's just like it's all just kind of business to him. Mm -hmm. And you're right that he is kind of weirdly intense, but there's also like a removed sense to him. Like he no matter what, he always kind of seems like he's a little bit he he feels like he's a little bit above this or something. He's he's not emotionally invested in the way that a lot of other people are. Uh, it's it's just it's a really unique thing about him that I don't think there's a ton of people who are like that. Well, I mean, the more that we're talking about him and the way that this match is set up and how it's like the fans are just really into like the finish, it's like, yeah, and later on this year, they're going to turn that all up to 11 with like doing the same with Bill Goldberg pretty much. And I think I think right. there, are, there are elements of those two that are very similar because Goldberg is also a guy that's, uh, that's not removed like the way that you're like you're suggesting how Luger maybe feels like he's removed from like the rest of the show that he's even on. But, um, mm -hmm. but like the idea that Goldberg's a, a guy that's also kind of like, this is my business. This is a, the job I do sort of thing. Right. Rather right. than seeming like a guy that's like really, really invested into like the wrestling community or anything like that. But yeah. Um, yeah. Looking forward to more appearances by Rick Fuller, huh? You know, a <laughs> couple minutes was just a taste, you know, for of what's to come. <laughs> Luger poses and heads out, giving high fives to everybody. As he gets to the ramp, out walks the Giant. These two wrestled just two weeks ago at Starcade, but of course the Giant has since had a change in attitude towards the NWO. After a brief stare down, they circle around each other so Luger can leave and the Giant can get to the ring. The announcers choose to interpret this as mutual respect... Uh, I don't really feel there was any reason to think that watching it, but that's what they choose to get out of it. Gene is in the ring to interview the Giant. Thank you very much, Tony Schiavone. Boy, they are hanging from the rafters here tonight on Nitro in New Orleans at the Super Bowl. Coming up, as you know, the WCW Executive Committee going into a closed-door emergency meeting and coming up with a solution for you, Giant. Tonight, you're gonna have an opportunity to meet Hulk Hogan as a prelude to Sold Out. You're getting some support from the organization. You know, I'm getting a lot of support, but it's not about NWO. It's not about WCW. 
It's about two men. Hulk Hogan and me, the Giant. A little while ago, somebody asked me, how bad do I want it? I want it real bad. Says it all. I want the World Heavyweight Championship. I no longer will I ever be a bookend. When I came to the NWO, I was a bookend. I kept the NWO together. I'm not a bookend anymore. The books are falling apart. And I've read every single one of the books. And tonight, I'm going to close the chapter on Hulkamania forever! Ladies and gentlemen, keep in mind, still coming up here on Michael, this man, the Giant, will be meeting Hulk Hogan from the NWO. So much at stake. Tony, back to you, my friend. Giant says this isn't about the NWO or WCW, it's about two men, himself and Hulk Hogan. The Giant says that he wants the world championship real bad. He says in the NWO, he was just a bookend, keeping the whole thing together, and now that he's gone, the books are falling apart. Also, he's read every one of the books, and tonight he will close the chapter on Hulk Hogan forever. Uh, Mixed metaphors aside, I thought his delivery was, was good, um, some of that book stuff was, was maybe a little hokey, but I think if we compare the giant promo to wh- now to where the giant promo was when we started this podcast and he was, you know, a, a really new character, I think he's come a long way. I think he's shown a ton of confidence and the ability to carry himself for this is it's brief. He doesn't go on and on. Uh, but like, you know, this is something where right now they have the chance to seize on, um, somebody who's like. You, this this iteration of the character is new and it seems to be really over with the crowd. Um, I think like this was kind of a test to see, all right, can he go out there and cut a babyface promo and get the people behind him? And I think he passed with flying colors. Uh, what'd you guys think? I've always been pretty impressed with the giant because he was never really just like a typical big man. And that was one thing that I always really liked about him because like either he had personality or the way he carried himself. He wasn't just like one dimensional. So I've always really, I always really dug him because like, I mean, he, I think it was him versus like Loch Ness where he did like a top rope drop kick or something like that. It was like, I'd never seen a guy that size do that. So I've always been impressed with the giant and especially here, like he seems to be coming into his own. Yeah. And I, I agree. I, um, I mean the giant, especially in his time at WCW was a guy that did like riskier, more athletic things. I believe there was like, wasn't there like a story back before he debuted that he wanted to do like moonsaults or he like could, at least could do yes. a moonsault when he was training. Yeah. Yep. Um, but I mean like you'll see, he'll do like kip ups and things like that uh, later on down the road. And then a lot of this kind of gets forgotten because once he goes to the WWF, they pretty much just play him up as like a pretty basic big man wrestler and a lot of like that more athletic stuff kind of goes on the wayside for a while. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that this was uh, for the giant. It's probably one of his better promos. Um, I think being short was probably a, a good idea. Uh, yeah. The, the book analogy stuff kind of borderline was going to be getting away from him, but I thought he stayed relatively on topic. And I think this could have been something where 
they should have had this interview done earlier and then they could have announced the the match so the crowd was anticipating it um or at least kind of getting out there rather than just having the announcers saying it i think it would have been a lot add a little bit more dramatics to it if they did it that way instead the horseman theme plays and the enforcer arn anderson makes his way to the ring alone out come the Steiners, and they are really leaning into the dog face gremlin thing as Rick, uh, his collar has a chain on it this week that <laughs> Scott is holding. And Scott is acting as if, like, Rick is a rabid Doberman that is going to get away from him at any moment. <laughs> Honestly, the whole thing is a little too kinky for two real-life brothers, if you ask me. <laughs> but... <laughs> the bell rings, and Rick and Arn lock up. Rick tries a hip toss, but Arn turns it into a fireman carry takeover, after which he does some jumping jacks and taunts Steiner with a few barks of his own. Rick avoids a punch from Arn and hurls Anderson with a belly-to-belly. Tony suddenly says that he needs to read us a brief statement. The statement says that tonight, they will be bringing us Giant vs. Hogan as promised, but states that at 10pm, the network will begin showing the new adventures of Robin Hood. WCW will continue to show the Giant Hogan match during the commercial breaks of that show should it happen to go beyond that 10 p.m. cutoff time. Rick Steiner hits a power slam and Tanae points out that while Tony was speaking, Arn called to the locker room for reinforcements, but no horsemen seem to be rallying to his cause. A back body drop gets Steiner a two count. He tries another, but Arn sees it coming and elbows him in the head. Arn tries a DDT, but Steiner back body drops him again. Arn again calls at the back for Horseman. Arn gets clotheslined over the top rope, uh, no disqualification called, of course. Right. And Tanae says that word from the back is that the Horsemen are in the locker room engaged in a shouting match. Arn walks over to the aisle yelling, where are you at, towards the back, but nobody comes. He decides just to completely bail on the match and walk off, getting counted out by Mark Curtis, and Gene hops in the ring immediately to talk to the Steiners. Well, we saw Gene Okerlund, and now Gene's in the ring with the Steiners. Gene, boy, what a night this has been, huh? Uh, you can say that again, but please, you don't have to. Scott Steiner, Rick Steiner, gentlemen, coming up in very short order. You're going to be heading to the heartland of America. Cedar Rapids sold out, S-O-U-L-E-D. It's an NWO event. However, the two of you are going to be challenging the Outsiders, Hall & Nash. They have made a public notice. They know about your back injury. They're going to attack it. You know me, Gene. Scott Hall and Kevin Nash make two mistakes. One was inviting us to the NWO pay-per-view, and number two, thinking I'm still hurt. Scott Hall, when I step in the ring with you, you're gonna find out how hurt I really am. And when I jam this fist down your throat and rip your goozle out, I'll make a believer out of you. All right, uh, Rick. As far as Kevin Nash goes, you know me, Gene, being seven feet tall would be an advantage if we were playing him in basketball. But the NWO pay-per-view, there ain't gonna be no basketball in the ring, just two nuts. And Kevin Nash, when I suplex you on your head and start punching you in the face, I'll make a believer out of you. I'm sorry to interrupt, but we're gonna be right back with more. Don't forget Hogan and the Giant here on Nitro. Nice interview, Rip. And that's next. Gene asks Scott about their title match upcoming at the pay-per-view. Scott says that Hall and Nash made two mistakes. One was inviting them to the pay-per-view, and the other was believing that Scott is still hurt. He says that Scott Hall will learn how hurt he is when Scott Steiner reaches down his throat and rips his goozle out. Ooh. <laughs> Gruesome. 
Gene wants to talk to Rick, but Scott goes on saying that Nash's height would be an advantage in basketball, but at the pay-per-view, no basketballs will be in the ring, just two nuts. He <laughs> continues to rant, but the music is playing them uh, to cut them off, and Gene finally gets a word in edgewise to close the segment. As we go to commercial, Heenan goes, nice interview, Rick. <laughs> Uh, I thought the match was was pretty fun. I like, you know, I love a match where two big guys are throwing each other around, and I always love Rick Steiner's belly to belly. Um, so, you know, it was another one where there was just a couple minutes and out, but I liked mm. what we saw, uh, and I thought the promo afterward, like the more Scott Steiner is just given a, a live mic, the happier I am. So that's <laughs> that's always going to be good stuff for me. What'd you guys think? I love how Heenan is at a stage. Where he just, I mean, like some of my favorite moments from Nitro are like just Heenan's like quit his quibs and like quick things that he just launches out there, <laughs> like just gets them in there, which is great. I thought the match actually did really well. I, I mean, like Arn's awesome at further telling a story. So I thought that that was like perfect um, and it didn't really take away from either guy. So I thought that worked really well. And clearly they have other things that they're kind of building to like both guys they're focused on other things right now right dave what'd you think um I, this was a match i was not paying like 100 percent uh, attention to at the time so <laughs> i don't yeah. have any i don't have any strong feelings of it uh, one way or the other but um gotcha no i mean i think it's uh, it's good it furthers um it, it furthers the steiners as far as like being on tv so fans realize they have this tag team title match coming up um, so I think that'll be good. I mean, I think either of the Steiners in the ma- in the ring with Scott Hall in particular is going to be pretty awesome. And also, I like I like the idea of um, of Arn Anderson being so frustrated with the um, the goings ons of the Horsemen that he's just he just gave up the match to be like, okay, there's shit has to be addressed right now before I can do the wrestling stuff. All right. Well, we have one last commercial break, and when we come back, it is about 9.54 p.m., which means only six minutes until the new adventures of Robin Hood. Nitro is in no rush, though, as both guys still get full entrances, and Hogan's NWO music plays forever before he finally walks out, and he only does so after all the other NWO guys, except the Outsiders, walk out and stand on the ramp as a show of strength. Hogan finally comes out, air guitars in the belt, poses, rips off his shirt, poses some more, hands the belt to Buff, poses even more, gets the belt back, and finally ambles very slowly towards the ring, <laughs> DiBiase in tow. I, uh, trying to remember this match, I did not realize that it's like, oh, that's right, they are they are making sure it doesn't start until uh, like 30 <laughs> seconds are left. There's, they're definitely timing this out as much as they can. Oh, yes. The Giant walks out to no music and not much of a crowd reaction, if I'm honest, especially compared to those pops that Lex got just a couple segments ago. Mm-hmm. Giant walks straight to the ring, though he's really in no rush himself. The Giant gets in the ring, and Hogan immediately bails to the outside to confer with Teddy Biasi. Hogan and Giant yell at each other a bit, and then Hogan gets on a live mic. Look at the determination in the face of that, that big, big... D-Fi-Fo-Fum! You know something? <laughs> you sure are a big dum-dum. <laughs> hey, brother, you know, when you're with 
the trillionaire Ted when you're with the NWO. We do what we want, when we want. But you know something? They obviously don't want to. As far as I'm concerned, I use you as a friend. I don't need you anymore, brother. <laughs> You're history, and there's nothing on any piece of paper anywhere in the world that says, I have to wrestle you. Oh, yes, there is. Two big hands. Say it. Up and down. Boy, to see Hollywood Hulk Hogan manhandled like that really, really makes me feel good. Hogan calls the giant a big dum-dum and says he used the giant, doesn't need him anymore, and there's nothing on a piece of paper anywhere in the world that says he has to wrestle the giant. In response, the giant reaches down and pulls Hogan into the ring head first for a big scoop slam. The bell rings and the match is finally underway with only one minute to go before the end of the show. Hogan begs the giant for mercy but receives none as the giant drives his head into a few turnbuckles. He boots Hulk in the gut and Hulk rolls the outside. Heenan says that tonight we've got a double feature, Robin Hood and Hulk Hogan and his band of merry idiots. Oh. Hogan, <laughs> Hogan tries to leave and the giant grabs him and leads him back to the ring as Nitro goes off the air. Then comes the opening segment of the new adventures of Robin Hood. Centuries ago in England... It was an era of chivalry and magic. The evil Prince John unleashed an iron fist of tyranny upon the people. They called out for a champion. One man answered that call. His name was Robin Hood. Fearless in his quest for justice, Robin Hood challenged the power of the high-born lords while protecting the helpless and the poor. Willing to face death for what he believed, together with the beautiful lady warrior Marion, the mighty Little John, and the wise Friar Tuck, Robin Hood forged a legend that lives on today in The New Adventures of Robin Hood. Robin Hood, Little John, Marion, and Friar Tuck come upon a rural village that has issues with Mongolian raiders. How the landlocked Mongolians managed to reach the island of Britain was not explained uh, over the course of the episode. Robin and his friends go in search of some Mongol invaders uh, at their camp to rescue a kidnapped girl. The theme song plays, and we finally get to a commercial break, during which no wrestling airs. None during the first commercial break. Uh There is apparently some kind of message to the audience that says more wrestling will be shown during the next commercial break. Robin Hood and his friends rescue the girl. They fight some Mongol henchmen and ride back towards the village. And we go to our second commercial break. This is now about 20 minutes since Nitro ended. We come back to the arena and Shivani tells us that we are live in New Orleans and the match is continuing. This is a flat-out lie, as the match ended nearly 15 minutes ago, and this is not live. What actually happened is the Giant and Hogan did about three to five minutes of wrestling, and then it was cut up and inserted into these breaks as if they were having, like, a, a barn burner that was just lasting, you know, forever, way longer than your typical uh, WCW main event. Mm-hmm. Of course, 
neither of man is sweating when we come back. To, it's it's been twenty minutes of wrestling. Neither man has broken a sweat. A sweat. And Hogan's bandana is right in the middle of the ring where it was allegedly fifteen minutes ago. Uh, so they're not really trying that hard. The giant chops Hogan around the ring, and Tanay says that the giant has been dominating the match. Giant clotheslines Hogan and roars. Hogan hits a low blow that the giant no-sells, causing Hogan to beg for mercy and use Randy Anderson as a shield. The two men do a test of strength spot with one hand, and the giant uses the other to shove Hogan's bandana into the Hulkster's mouth. Giant stomps Hogan's fingers, and Tony tells us that this match will continue during the next commercial break. Robin Hood romances one of the village women and wants them to help fight off the Mongols permanently, but the village is split in the idea. Robin thinks that maybe he can talk to the Mongol leader Kobak one-on-one, and we go to commercial. This is now about 30 minutes since Nitro ended, and in spite of Tony Schiavone telling us before that we would see wrestling during the next break, we do not see any wrestling during the next break. Only a message that tells us that the conclusion of the match will take break place during the next commercial break and how they could know that about a supposedly live match who knows (laughs) they just they know it looks like these guys are about 12 minutes from wrapping up guys we'll we'll definitely be able to catch it (laughs) robin's attempts to negotiate with the mongol leader are rebuffed robin trains the villagers to fight the mongols little john seduces the kidnapped girl from earlier by telling her that she does not smell like a wet dog laying by the fire Robin Hood shows a villager how to create a trap, and we go to our fourth commercial break, almost 45 full minutes since Nitro ended. Back in the arena, Shivani again tells us that this is live. The Giant and Hogan still are not sweating. The Giant gets a body slam, and Tanay says that this sure has been a memorable match. The Giant calls for the choke slam. He gets Hogan by the neck, but Hogan escapes via kick to the gut. The giant is only briefly deterred, and he gets Hogan by the neck again. Hogan thumbs him in the eye, but the giant gets a hold of him a third time. The NWO then rush the ring to attack the giant. The giant fights them off by himself, but it doesn't matter. The bell is rung for the DQ. Hulk Hogan is already leaving the ring, telling the camera that he quits. And the segment ends with the giant punching Scott Norton. Uh Meanwhile, Robin Hood coaches a village boy on talking to girls. Kobach reveals that he is the brother of Genghis Khan. Robin Hood gives a rousing speech. The Mongols attack the village, and the villagers win. <laughs> uh, Darren, I, I want to start with you because you you remember watching this episode. Do you remember this bullshit that happened at the end here? Uh, okay, so it's actually funny you say that. I did not remember this necessarily until watching until I rewatched the episode and realized that they got only what was it like less than a minute into the match as it happened. And yeah. they and I remember them specifically being like, we will stick with this on the commercial breaks and we'll stay with this match and blah, 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 blah. And I think I watched the first part of the, the cause like the, you're bringing back some, I feel like I had watched the Robin hood show mm-hmm. to be like, okay, I'll check it out. And it got to that first commercial break. And I remember they're not being wrestling. And I just assumed that the match ended before the commercial break. And I was like, oh, so I guess I'll have to wait till next week to figure. And I just stopped watching. I, I, I remember because like when I rewatched the episode and rewatched it, what was after the break 
first of all, like the way you're right, like the breaking up of that episode to try make it span like the entire Robin Hood commercial break <laughs> is like a pretty crazy, like non-believable, like anything. Because in my mind, they have gone off the deep end about the title match being non-title how the championship committee is going to be there, how Sting has chosen the NWO side, all these things that they have taken time during matches to just strictly like promote. And you're not at any point going to have a, a, like go hysterical on commentary that the giant and Hulk Hogan are in the midst of a 45 minute classic <laughs> by the end of it. And you're like, we have seen it all today. We, and like you backed yourself into a really strong corner. Cause the idea too, that if Hogan and giant are wrestling for 45 minutes in this venue, and the only way to see it is live at the Superdome and on commercial breaks, that is a big task to ask for, to be like, guys, listen, we're going to need you to go out there tonight. And about 90% of your match is not going to take place on TV. <laughs> right. But just keep in mind is one of our biggest crowds. It will steer intrigue, and this is how we're going to get people next week and to tune into the pay-per-view. Because in my mind, they I think I know they definitely do it in 98 more than they do it in 97, but there are times when they replay the entire like a match from a pay-per-view, like later, uh, like a couple of weeks on Raw, and they make a or sorry, on Nitro, and they make a huge deal out of it where they're like, We are gonna show you the match in its entirety. And like part of me wanted to be like oh man, maybe they're going to show this in its entirety, but you know they're not. So they've backed themselves into this really weird corner. And so in my mind, I, I want to be like, all right, show me the 45 minutes of Hogan and Giant that I missed while I was watching <laughs> Robin Hood. Yeah. I sat through your new adventures of Robin Hood. You will give me the match that I was supposed to see. And the other funny part too is with all our matches getting so crazy rushed, crazy like three minute long, the entrances being weird, the choppiness, you'd almost think that in some way, shape or form where earlier in the night, they mentioned that they have a match on standby for, <laughs> or, or maybe it's, they didn't oh, have a yeah, match on yeah. standby. Like they, all yeah, these things yeah. in my head when it's like, okay, we know that Hogan and giant are going to have this epic match, but the amount of time given to it on their program is less than five of their giveaway squash matches or glorified matches is also <laughs> just the most bizarre thing. They're like, we know why you came here, but you're going to have to watch Robin Hood first to get it. And that's like the biggest WCW Nitro thing that is so odd about this era where it's like you're wanting it. It's, it's almost as though where a lot of the stuff they did, like you have an, a very rich uncle who comes around every Christmas and you think you're going to get like this big gift from him. And it's always something practical. It's never <laughs> anything that he could. Within his, you know, it's like, it's almost like you went and at Christmas, there was a gift for you and it was like a new belt. It was just like, oh, that's practical. Thanks. It's a nice looking belt. But your <laughs> uncle got himself a gift from Santa to himself. That was like, oh, wow, this vacation package to the Bahamas was just <laughs> sitting right here. Thanks, Santa. That is exactly what I think Nitro does, where it's like, you know that they could deliver. You know that they had the talent to do it and their angles are red hot right now. 
but they back themselves into such a corner expecting you not to realize it. And I think they were more naive thinking people wouldn't get it than the people who they assumed were naive about. And that's my take on what Nitro does a lot during 97 and 98. Now, Dave, you were, of course, uh, also a, a Nitro viewer at the time. Do you have any memories of of this hoodwink job that's done? Yes, tonight? I definitely watched the entire episode of The New Adventures of Robin Hood in order to watch that. <laughs> I do I do remember um specifically I, I was I, I was like I do I remember that the NWO rushes in and then the match is like a disqualification and it's kind of like there's I mean that's not really much of a payoff when you're waiting like through these commercial breaks. It's not even though it's like and it's kind of weird cuz then it's like there's just further questions as far as like why this was not made a uh, a title match because if it's not title but the giant still doesn't beat him you know um so yeah i do remember that and i when we were watching it again and we're, it's like coming back from like the commercial cuts on the network i was i kept listening to the language of the announcers and so the announcers were talking in a way that suggests the match was going on the whole time but they weren't like outright saying it so they're kind of like using white lies to suggest the match was going on this whole time when really that wasn't the case. Um, yeah. Yeah. And on, on the flip side, like, so I watched the episode of Robin hood. I mean, I get that like Robin hood is like the big baby face on the show, but the whole time he's like facing this enhancement talent, like leading up to facing the, the villain at the end. But really like at that point, I didn't really believe that Kovac could really defeat him, you know, because Robin Hood was able to defeat everyone else. <laughs> um, I think I think Little John really needs to work on his like promo skills because he the times in which he had to shine left a, left a little uh, a little bit out there on the table, and also the continuity. You know, like the whole thing of the Mongols. Like, legitimately, I looked it up and I was like, this does not make any sense. And oh, it, it it's baffling why the enemies are Mongols. It's at first, I thought they were just going to be like, you know, the idea was they were kind of ripoffs of the Mongols, yeah. but they, but then like within five minutes, they specify these are Mongols. Right. They they use that word many times. Uh, but we we're going super long, so I think I've got some. Uh, I also watched the episode. I've got some thoughts on the show itself, um, and I've also got some uh, quotes from Eric Bischoff and Tony Schiavone on uh, the ideas that went behind it and kind of the blowback that came from it uh, but I think we'll we'll talk about that on our worldwide episode uh, where we follow up uh, this Nitro and talk about everything else that happened in wrestling this week of, of January 97 uh, so that'll be our tease for worldwide as you can hear us <laughs> talk even more about the new adventures of Robin yes. Hood tune in folks <laughs> uh, but so that that leaves us uh, with just a few things to talk about one is of course what did we think of this nitro overall um it's hurt a lot by the fact that the payoff came in the way it did and and if i was watching it in 97 i'd probably be more mad than i was watching it on the mm -hmm. network which kind of easily condenses that ending for me um but i really liked the way it told a story throughout the entire show we opened with the giant and the hogan stuff it was hit on constantly throughout the night. Sometimes that was to the detriment of other things that were happening. But I do like when an episode of a wrestling show tells a complete story within that episode. Uh, so that that and combined with the hot crowd and the big arena, uh, I really liked this Nitro. I had a blast watching it. And 
Uh, it continues my feeling after the last few where like I get done with one and I can't wait to start working on the next one. So in my book, that makes this a successful show. Uh, Darren, what do you think of Nitro overall this week? The thing that we touched on earlier uh, that I think goes in is there was nothing here that would be like, oh, this was painful. Because even anything that was given to you was so short that it was over and on to the next thing before you even knew it. Like the first hour of the show goes by super fast, in my opinion. There, are th- Everything that's done with the NWO obviously has the time put into it. That's the the fact. Like the DDP stuff is amazing. That's like not even, not only is that the best thing on the show, but it's like one of the best things of the whole year, in my opinion. Like him becoming a star is awesome. But like the giant and Hogan, uh, that plays off all the way through. DDP doing all his stuff. The stuff with Sting, like anything tied to the NWO has their focus. And I feel like the Horseman stuff is a good secondary angle. But the the reason why it seems like the Horseman focus is the way it is is because out of respect just because of to flare and arm. Otherwise, I don't think they would give him the time of day because like it's clear that like all the guys like Eddie, Dean, all that stuff, they don't get that same respect they're just like a match that has that overline um the the commentary but like not to focus on that too much because like i think if i just focus on like the element that where i feel like they just deter so much from what's going on in ring uh i think it would irritate me more but the idea of everything goes by so fast that's so quick that especially leading into a pay-per-view like it does what it's supposed to do. It's not giving away anything. And like, I remember to watching and thinking like the rare occasions when you saw sting do something, it always, the cliffhangers were always good. Like who is he going to get next? Who's he going to target next? Who's going to try and talk him out or whatever's going on? What's going to happen here. So like they do a really good job on that. And I think that's something that I feel is missing a lot more is cliffhangers and in this case in particular, they do a really good job building storylines and making it enjoyable and nothing overstays its welcome just because either it's going to be done in two or three minutes and that's it and it's on to the next thing. And it's almost like you have to sit down and process it at the end, but you're going to keep watching because at least nothing did get wrapped up. But uh, I definitely give this episode of Nitro, I very it's positive, way more than the episode of Robin Hood was. <laughs> Uh, Dave, what do you think of Nitro overall? Uh, yeah, I mean, typically I like to look at um, as far as like advancement of storylines and hyping up pay-per-views in which I feel like I feel like pretty much every major story and a significant amount, if not every match at sold out was not only addressed, but nothing felt like it was a shoehorned in thing. You know, sometimes you'll get a segment that that plays off of like three different things. But I feel like everyone kind of yeah. had like every significant player in WCW at this time had a moment to shine or a moment to be showcased during the show. Uh, so I think that that was, I, I think overall just the way that they, they, they structured it out and the way that it played out. And I think we, we talked about this last week that maybe this could be a positive of them having these kind of shorter, like short, quick to the point matches. And then moving on to the next one seems like it could be a benefit. So we're not seeing, Lex Luger versus Rick Fuller for like five or six minutes. Uh, I think that's overall a plus. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it had a like that. I like a pretty iconic moment for Nitro is the DDP turn on Scott Hall. Um, really, I mean, we haven't discussed this 
very often, but um, this would be some. This would be the kind of episode that I would consider for our Nitro Hall of Fame, as far as having a little bit of everything and having and like you said, like uh, a storyline with a payoff in a single episode is a is a rarity in in like just in wrestling in general in the '90s at this point. Um, so I think this is like one of the better played out aside from how they do the, how they did the main event. I, I think a lot of the, there's a right. lot of, there's far more things that work really well on the show than things that did not work well. Yeah. Inductions in the nitro hall of fame have to be unanimous between the two of us. And I just can't do it given the way they strung their audience yeah. along um, for that final match, especially to end in a DQ. So uh, otherwise, I think I'd be right there with you, but that that's going to hold it back yeah, for me. Yeah, that's understandable. Uh, the, last thing, the last thing we always do uh, on the show is, of course, our segment of the night and our MVP. But before we do that, Darren, I know you've got a YouTube channel, you've got a Patreon, you've got social media. Please uh, take this opportunity to plug your shit. Where can people find you and what can fans expect to find on those? Uh, normally the easiest one is, uh, so with YouTube, uh, it's just, if you search Darren Corbin, uh, it's just Darren Corbin TV generally, but if you search my name, it pops up right away. I've been using this time, uh, with no wrestling events to film videos and try and be creative. So I put stuff up there and then my Patreon, um, is just, if you search Darren Corbin there, so it's Patreon backslash Darren Corbin. Uh, I have a couple things where different tiers get exclusive content behind, uh, I do a lot of interactive Stuff where I have like uh, requests from my members there who will ask for videos. I do Q and A's generally there, so that's you know ultimately I don't do a lot of podcasts anymore because I do a lot of my Q and A stuff there. I, I'm really glad that you guys have an, a very interesting concept uh, that is unique because it's not something I do there. But uh, I try and do that, and then bonuses. So I, I really like to do the video editing spots. So between that and then just. I'm on Instagram, on Twitter as uh, just Darren Corbin, easy to find. So if you find me there, that is exactly uh, the best ways to follow me and the best ways to support. We'll go on then to our segment of the night and our MVP. Uh, I think segment of the night, that's a really easy one for me. I'll start off. I'm definitely going with DDP and the Outsiders. Uh, One of the most memorable moments from Nitro, and it's just perfectly executed, did exactly what it should have done. Fantastic moment. Uh, Dave, what about you? What was your segment of the it, night? It's it's very hard to disagree with that, so I'm not going to. So I'm going to go with the same thing as segment <laughs> of the night. Darren, how about you? It's the DDP segment, of course. All right. And then for MVP, I had a little bit of a harder time deciding. Ultimately, I split it, and I went with uh, Dean Malenko and Eddie Guerrero. Um, their match was not my segment of the night, but it uh, I think that they deserve a lot of kudos for – putting together the longest match on the show and doing a great, great match in spite of um, some a little bit of unfortunate audience uh, apathy. I, I thought it was a great match and, and really fun to see those two guys work. So uh, they are getting my MVP award. Dave, who was your MVP of the show? Um, I, well, I think a lot of there's a lot of wrestlers and personalities, uh, talent that looked really good on this show. I think there's a lot of people that could give consideration to but the only one person we we've been talking about was made a star tonight and that's diamond dallas page so uh, based on that it's hard for me to suggest anyone else even though there are other people that i thought looked really well i especially thought um that what we've seen so far of mark bagwell um as far as being uh, a real personality i think that he was 
a big plus on the show. Um, obviously, like you were saying, Eddie Guerrero and Dean Blanco were great. Um, but yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's hard for me to go against uh, um, what Diamond Dallas Page did on this night. So my award will go to him. All right, and Darren, who is your MVP of Nitro? So originally, I was thinking about this because like I felt like if I picked my answer is DDP because I feel like I had to. Uh, it's just it's so memorable, and every time I think back to it and I think about what I'm going to remember from this is not only that moment but what comes out of it is DDP, and it's perfect. Like he's the he is now like a new hope too for WCW. But it's hard because I wanted to go with Arn Anderson because, like, Arn is carrying, like, yeah. through his matches and everything. He's carrying, like, a very strong secondary angle. But I don't – I almost, when I go back, forget that Arn is doing this here. And I feel, though, Arn comes back stronger when they do that whole thing uh, to get, you know, like, Flair back into – the post-war games thing where Arn's trying to hold everything together and there's right. other stuff that Arn does really well so it's like really hard for me to be like oh as good as Arn is here it's definitely like you will always remember DDP from this one so I think he's the MVP on it all right well Darren thank you so much really cannot thank you enough for coming on the show uh and, and giving so much of your time not only to watching this Nitro but we we've talked significantly longer than it even took just for them to perform the show so uh Thank you so much for coming on. We really we'll, do we'll just it. we'll filter the last three minutes through commercial breaks of Robin Hood, and then that's how we'll just we'll fake it. <laughs> All right. Well, and thank you to you, the listener, for checking out the show. Uh, remember, you can always uh, write reviews, subscribe, all, all that good stuff. You know how podcasts work. Uh, most importantly, come back here in a few days where we'll have the worldwide episode to break down what happened on Raw opposite the show tonight. The ratings all the news and wrestling that week. You can definitely find all that and more right here where the big boys play 20 years of Nitro. I'll bet your wife misses you. Nope. Don't have a wife. Your girlfriend? Don't have one of those either. Don't you like girls? Sure. Of course I do. I like the way they smell. How do I smell? You know how a dog smells? When it's wet and it sits down by the fire? What? You don't smell anything like that.